we are live. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Break the Rules stream. I am your host, Lev Poliakov, at LevPo on Twitter, coming at you all the way live. We got my main man, Giovanni Panacchietti, joining As-salamu us. as alaikum. God and wills we, it. <laughs> God, well, God wills the fact that we are here right now with the amazing, the wonderful Max Derat. Uh, an amazing, prolific YouTuber bringing in all of the different genres and uh, mediums, whether we're talking about video games, whether we're talking about movies, and getting deep into the nitty-gritty of what exactly is going on with them in relation to the bigger questions that I think a lot more people, especially that we're locked in, are asking themselves on a daily basis. Why are we here? What is this about? Is there more to this existence than just the average drudgery and all the demoralizing things we see every day? So, Max, I want to thank Thank you so much for coming in here number one on such short notice number two for the fact that you are from what i saw of all your streams you know you st- you say stay yellow and this is why i am staying yellow for this stream geo you are not aware of it but i'm actually yellow right <laughs> oh, now God. during the live stream you, and you just had sneed- to put this need behind you you just had of to course do it. of My course God. that's the way it works so everybody don't forget to subscribe patreon.com slash break the rules and we are going to get started with uh max max please tell us number one why did you start doing what you're doing and number two do you notice psychologically speaking a difference in your audience in the various discussions that are going on online from where you started to now go for it okay well first of all geo one of us one of us, of us. <laughs> one of- <laughs> yes come on it's the yellow trade is where you'll be more mellow um so to answer the first question why did i start doing what i did well it wasn't actually intentional uh, as you just pointed out i talk about video games predominantly and i try to link them to uh, bigger philosophical psychological themes that run throughout art uh, just to partially to demonstrate how video games can be considered high art a uh, few decades into you know video games being around in the public consciousness um but yeah the reason why i started talking about them was completely by accident uh, back in 2016 there was this video game that came out called inside it's made by the same people that did another game called limbo some of you might have heard of it and the game is only like three hours long but it, it tells this wonderful wonderful story without saying like without there being any dialogue it's told entirely visually and the way it does it though it just every single thing that you look at is so latent with meaning and it's trying to tell you something not just about the way that the world works but about uh like the overall message that it's trying to communicate and so i figured huh i'm trying to figure out new stuff to talk about on my channel why not uh try video game analysis for once so i i tried to explain what i thought was going on with the game and put out the video and lo and behold uh, over the course of a few months it manages to garner over a million views and it's like huh Maybe I have a knack for this sort of thing. And so uh, over the years uh, that followed, I sort of made my way from talking more so about politics, which is what I predominantly talked about ever since I started my YouTube channel in 2015 into 2016. But then I sort of made the decision, you know what? I want to be defined by stuff that I love rather than by stuff that I hate, which is what politics is mostly about anyways. And then... Ever since then, uh, it's been me talking about video games and trying to talk about 
some of the brilliant things that you can derive from that medium and, you know, lore analysis and all that. And then uh, slowly over the last few years, mental health has sort of been a side thing along with that. So both of those. And then second question, you asked about my audience. Uh, I often say that my audience is the best in the world. And the reason why is because one, they are highly intelligent and they're two, they're awfully, awfully kind. I have yet to engage with somebody in my audience that isn't an obvious troll where they aren't as intellectually curious as I am. And it's so much fun just being able to interact with each and every one of them. And they oftentimes, they're the ones that spawn the ideas that I have for new videos on my channel, like the new games that I cover, the new mental health topics that uh, I discuss openly. It's because they, they're the ones that are sort of guiding me on this journey towards these new heights, giving me inspiration all the time, just because they're all so smart. So it's, it's wonderful. I, you know, you wouldn't ever think that YouTube, especially YouTube comment sections would be a place for people to engage in civil and constructive debate. But I think it's, that's what's happening with me and hooray. Do you find that uh, the audience of more, let's say, politically leaning channels tends to fester over time, regardless of which part of the political spectrum you're in, where either people would close themselves off in the bubbles or they would just get very mad at all the problems in the world that they're seeing? And would you say that then you've been able to avoid that by not really going at political themes? Or if you were to talk more about politics, do you think you'd still be able to avoid that from happening? That's a very good question. And it's something, it's a question that I'm actually going to attempt to answer. Um, so for example, have you, are you familiar with the video game franchise called The Last of Us? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> Spawn many memes, the sequel has, yeah. you know. So the sequel, so as you're aware, that sequel was particularly, uh, let's just say it wasn't well received by a wide contingent of, uh, amount of people. And, you know, I happen to agree with a lot of the criticisms that are made of the game, but I will say that I don't think it's the absolute bag of garbage that other people make it out to be. And because of sort of the huge hubbub surrounding that game, you know, the wide, large amount of people that loved it and then an equal, seemingly equal amount of people that hate it, I was always intrigued, you know, what would it be like if I were to able if I were able to try and analyze this game objectively? What if I took the best arguments from both sides and tried to weed out the merits in both sides' arguments and tried to promote a more, not entirely objective, because you can't be entirely objective when it comes to art, but something approaching that. And I'm gonna be doing that very soon in regards to The Last of Us Part Two when I do that analysis. And that'll be sort of my first foray into that. But as far as whether or not people be responsive to it, we'll have to see. Um, but to answer the first question that you asked, uh, I have been avoiding it because as you sort of aptly suggested, people who talk about politics on YouTube, they, over a certain period of time, they might say towards the beginning that, oh, we're going to try and promote as many different voices as we can and try to just engage with a whole bunch of different ideas. But after a that, while, sorry. That's what that's what BTR is doing in a way. I mean, right. this, 
It's really weird, though. I understand what you're talking about here. We do try to get, like, very random assortments. So we would have a uh, uh, somebody who worked for Pete Buttigieg's campaign, shout out to Jessica Deloach, coming in with zero HP Lovecraft, who is a, a famous uh, Twitter uh, writer. You know, you couldn't find more opposites if you tried. And the very fact that we have, like, anonymous Twitter people talking with professional people, it's something that's not really seen. But I do notice that there is a bit of uh, anger that starts coming out. Yeah. And uh, and I want to actually direct the question to Gio. So, Gio, I don't know how familiar you are with The uh, Last of Us Part Two, but in general, let's say the wokeness, for lack of a better word, of video games that you're seeing today, what would you say would be the existential threat that uh, you or other people uh, may be oh. seeing coming from uh, the way that uh, video games and movies today are being portrayed. Because there are some people who would say, like, this is on its way out. There was a recent article uh, written in uh, Unheard that talked about how plenty of, uh, let's say, liberals, you know, classic liberals, whatever you want to say, are standing up against this woke stuff already. So it's not as dreary as people who, let's say, want to make money off of the uh, doom and gloom make it out to be. So I don't know, Gio, what is your take on the existential uh, uh, fear that people have well, when it comes to this stuff? I think, like, the the problem is, leave it, like, the from my understanding... And yet, this is the only yellow I could find, by the way. I mean, maybe <laughs> when I get my new computer, I'm going to have the ability to do the background like you have, Lev. But uh, no, the problem is the framing, I think, of um, the way a lot of these like culture comp issues manifest themselves. The framing is like, well, on the one end, it's like we need representation and res representation is like this reified property that, that must be like a quantitative thing. On the other end, you have like, the typical like IDW response, like the Sargon of Akkad live stream shit of like these, the woke people are taking over all media. And, and it is, it is true to the extent that like, this is the cultural influence that, you know, zoomers and whoever predominantly getting, I mean, the, the line between playing the last of us two, and I don't know, like sitting down for five hours and watching uh, Hassan Piker on, on Twitch instead of watching f break the rules for five hours, um, <laughs> which you should be. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think like the problem is the framing itself. I think that, um, first of all, it's the assumption that representation as a mere quantitative property is something that is influential to begin with. That's the big problem. Mm. And the other problem is that the way you go about it, it's kind of hard because you're dealing with a lot of like institutional forces that have like, I mean, having known people that are in the quote unquote industry, as you know, Lev, obviously, I mean, you start off with new grounds, my God, right? Like, it's very difficult G because- Gio, I didn't start out on new grounds. I started out in the New York independent animation circuit. Yeah, uh, then you migrate. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. But even, well, even worse, that's even more of an indictment <laughs> because yeah. they select for certain people and certain people have proclivities towards I what would you call it i mean woke is such an overplayed word let's call it just transnational progressive type of ideology so it's very you're you're almost trying to fight um very very intangible cultural issues through like a legislative framework so that's the problem right there and the problem i think is that even the criticism of it it's the typical the way that the news cycle works is that you'll have like a controversy like the last of us two which is totally by every definition is ridiculous right but at least from my perspective 
um, then you'll have the response to it, but then the response will get memed on, it'll get played out, and then nobody will care after. Then it'll become some other video game or some other... It'll be like Little Nas, right? I mean, I feel bad because like every time something happens, BTR has a stream about it where we have very high-minded theory self, you know. But uh, I, I just think... I can't help but think that all of these are just eidolons. All of these are just distractions. Not in the sense that they don't matter. They do matter. But the fundamental uh, ways in which culture is dispersed through like a culture industry model, I think people have to realize that the, the whole system itself is like bankrupt. And to just say, well, we're going to have like trans women of color become a, a lead in a video game. Or the other side, we're going to have uh, LeBased... Um, like what? What would you even say? Like what? Like because what do they want, right? Do you want like LeBased, uh fashy character that's gonna like I don't know? You're gonna have like uh, it's just that's the the whole problem is that the way that culture is even created is vi especially with video games. And I wanted to get into this with Max. I wanted to have a little bit, uh, back and forth about even the the validity of video games as an art form, mm -hmm. which I'm controversially mm -hmm. I've talked well, about. But, but before that, I'm curious if uh, Max, if you could touch on what Gio was uh, just talking about right now. Well, about uh, fundamental issues versus micro issues is what I think you're getting at, right? Yeah, yeah. Even just like the framework of like whether or not representation in itself, like as a property, mm. whether that's a big issue, right? Well. I think as far as representation goes, I think it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just the way that you go about trying to put it in there. Mm. I, I think the less big of a deal that you make it, the less big of a deal that it, it will become. And then people won't make a big deal out of the fact that, you know, that Shang-Chi movie that's coming out at the end of the week. Oh, it's like uh, all Asian cast. It's like, great I, I was gonna go see it anyways regardless of whether or not there are asians in it so mm -hmm. it's it's i yeah it's not something that i think should be at the forefront of everybody's mind like the way that uh society is trying to make it right now because i think when you do that over time all people are going to be doing is just being consciously more and more consciously aware of people's race and trying to make that a paramount issue when it's not, it's just going to make people more racist. Um, but with that said, just, it's still good to try and offer as many opportunities as you can uh, to people, as long as, you know, they get it on the base basis of merit. Well, I guess this comes down to, and I want to uh, Gio to touch on the uh, video game question, but this also comes down to what you were talking earlier about in uh, some of your videos having to do with how much do we have ideas versus the ideas having us? Hmm. How much do a lot of these uh, identities that people adopt over time, uh, how much are they based on the advertising that they've seen over and over again? And what does that talk about in relation to whether it's the dog that's wagging the tail or the tagging or the tail wagging the dog here what exact uh, things do we put out there and should we have a certain let's say uh a certain moral structure or something that would dictate like this is something we should encourage more you know like we should encourage family and all that kind of stuff and this is what we should encourage less and if there is somebody who happens to have a certain identity that does not fit in to what we encourage we're not going to stop that but at the same time it's not like this is going to be the popular thing for people who want to be accepted you know just uh pushing themselves into who are you addressing that to? 
I would address that to you, Max, and uh, if uh, Gio, if you have any comments on that as well, I would love to hear it. Okay, so it's tricky, right? Because especially with the internet and people's attention spans in the internet age, uh, people, their attention can be flocking to a whole bunch of different things at once. And while it might be, it might be nice to say that it's good to have a wide variety of things to look at so that, you know, you can have as much information that you can and then come to your own rational evidence-based decisions regarding a wide variety of topics. But the problem is not as many people are, have that intellectual capacity, uh, unfortunately. So with that said, it might be useful to try and have some sort of a body determining what sorts of messages should be put out there so that way people don't get confused mm. and just gravitate to what they like most because of the way it satisfies their biases or their emotional impulses but the problem is it's like how do you determine what that body would be and how do you prevent them from being biased Does well we could, we could uh we could set up an uh artificial intelligence uh, apparatus um, in the form of a uh, no, no, sometimes need a ministry. So, so, sometimes skull revealing uh military people <laughs> we need a ministry of propaganda and public enlightenment if you get that reference lev uh no what's that, that reference no ministry of propaganda and public enlightenment well Joseph I mean, Goebbels, I know. that was his oh, title. Oh, okay, yeah, there we oh. go. <laughs> oh. Well, that does speak to the fear that people have when it comes to re retainment over uh, access to information. But that was like one of the uh, most fascinating videos I've seen in a long time, the one that you did, Max, about the uh, artificial intelligence inside of Metal Gear Solid. Mm -hmm. And, uh, mm. well, I am curious, why do you think that they were showing their skulls in, the, uh, in some of the images there? Because the mask was coming off. There you go. Mm. And then it's death, it's Thanatos at the end. That's, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's, did you sort of want to talk about that and the possibility of something like that coming Absolutely. to? Absolutely. Okay. So, first of all, just uh, in regards to that video, in case you guys don't know, um, there's this video game series called Metal Gear Solid, and it's my all time favorite entertainment franchise it's the air that i breathe it's the blood that runs through my veins it's like metal gear solid for me is what star wars is for a lot of people so metal gear solid 2 there's this moment that happens towards the end of the game that a friend of mine named steve uh he did a video on uh that was also called the most profound moment in gaming history and i was so influenced by that video uh, it, it's thanks to that video that I actually have a YouTube channel um, that I wanted to do gaming analysis. And then after a while, I thought, you know what, there's some things that, you know, as much as I love Steve, I think there's a few things that I could uh, add on top of that. So I put out my, that video and it has to do with that, the ending of that game. And how do I explain this for people that aren't very familiar with the Metal Gear Solid story in a way that they can understand? So throughout the game, uh, you're a secret agent and you're trying to stop a bunch of terrorists from launching a nuclear strike, right? And you're being commanded by your commanding officer, who we think is the commanding officer known as Colonel Campbell from the first game. And he's telling you to do all this stuff to prevent the terrorists from doing what uh, they're going to do. But over the course of the game, you start to realize, huh, things aren't necessarily adding up. The things that the colonel is telling me to do they don't 
really seem to be in accordance with the reality that I'm perceiving. People tend to be people around me tend to be saying things that make me question what the colonel's doing. But because we want to be the secret agent, because we want to be like Solid Snake, who is the protagonist of the first game, you go along with it. So you're quote unquote following orders. And yeah, you know, if anybody has any knowledge of history, you know the bad places that can lead you to. And the ending of that game is exactly one of those things. So at the end of the game, you find out that by following the orders of this Colonel Campbell, uh, you realize that the Colonel that you thought was the Colonel from the first game isn't a Colonel, it's actually an AI. And they were testing to see how willing you would be to go along with orders that conflict with your perception of reality as long as you can you know, live out a, a sort of fantasy of being this super soldier. And in doing that, you... Uh, unintentionally enslave the world. And the reason why you enslave the world is because the AI has this um, computer program that they want to install into the internet, uh, which would allow them to be able to filter out garbage information, things like fake news, misinformation, um, and preserve good news that's that will foster the evolution of the human race. And um, what was I about to say? Oh, I was just sorry. Just give me one second. Oh, I lost no my train of thought. Everybody subscribe. Yeah. Sounds subscribe. familiar, actually. When you <laughs> lay it out like that, there's the plot. Mm -hmm. mm. Um, well, the, yeah, go on. Yeah. So they they do that. And it was because of your compliance with the system um, that the AI was trying to figure out, huh? Well, if we were to put this into the internet, well, will people be willing to go along with this? And because of your participation in the experiment, they verified that the program would work and you essentially enslaved the entire human race to the, uh, the, pop, the puppets of this AI. And so the AI will control uh, the distribution of information throughout the internet. And it's interesting. Uh, the reason why it's profound is because this game, it came out in 2001. Uh, over a decade before this problem of fake news and misinformation reached public consciousness. And not only that, it provoked a great discussion among the people in my comment section. It's like, huh, should we have an AI filtering through this information or should we not? And I have my own opinions on that, but uh, having laid this out, hopefully in a way that's comprehensible to everybody, I know that was a lot to take in. I'd like to, you know, maybe hear what your thoughts are on that. Well, do you know um, this one HN thread about, uh, what was it called? Most of the internet is fake. Do you know that one? <laughs> I know, but it's a, it's a statement that I agree with. Yeah, like it, it, it lays out how um, it was basically like the export on 8chan, which is even more disturbing than the one on 4chan. Uh, essentially, when you take all of the sort of what they call the surface web, and you realize how much like corporations advertising the filtering information how information gets slotted into certain parameters a lot of that is generated basically by ai programs that silicon valley nerds like have started to perfect over the years and so their claim is that actually the vast majority of things that you see even now with the gans and uh gpt gtp what's that called gpt3 you know, it's like the automatic generated language thing. GP3, GPT, sorry. I Basically with that, now that they can create AI news articles, the vast majority of what you do actually see in the surface web, they claim, 
keep in mind these are paranoiacs from HN export mm -hmm. that um that actually the vast majority of the surface web is actually um gar I keep saying actually god um is being generated in sort of post-human means if you will it's out of the hands of a physical programmer or a physical mm. Janny moderator it's more so that they're selecting even the omission of information is by and large becoming more generated by ai programs that can right. for example detect mm. certain words i mean very primitive stuff so far but imagine if they get which they're trying to i think zucker zuckerface uh Sorry, that's a Bronze Age permit reference. Uh, he's doing this research where you can, um, kind of similar to the Chinese, where not only they can they censor like text before they show up on Facebook, but like they can even generate on your behalf certain things, like to prevent you from being banned, you'll have to like say certain things. Like, it's mm. really crazy. Praise and the leader. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no. before be, before we get to the point that we're not going to be able to say his name without the AI freaking out, although it probably will freak out, uh, but he's been said enough times. So if you remember, there was that episode of Joe Rogan's podcast with Alex Jones, the great water filter uh, merchant, who had the following to say about AI. Google... Google believes the first AI will be a supercomputer based on the neuron activity of the hive mind. I'm not going to do the accent. Uh, based on the neuron activity of the hive mind of humanity with billions of people wired into the Internet of Things. And so all our thoughts go into it. And we are actually building a computer that has real neurons in real time that is also psychically connected to us uh, that are organic uh, creatures. So they will have current projection powers future prediction powers a true crystal ball but the big secret is once you have the crystal ball and know the future you can add stimuli beforehand and make decisions that control the future and so then it's the end of consciousness and free will for individuals as we know it and the true 2.0 in a very bad way hive mind consciousness with an ai jacked into everyone knowing our hopes and dreams delivering it to us not into some pkd wirehead system He's talking about Philip K. Dick, where we, plug, yeah. Yeah, where we plug in and give up in consciousness because of unlimited pleasure, but because we were already wired in and absorbed before we knew it by giving over our consciousness to the system by our daily decisions that it was able to manipulate and control into a larger system. Uh, the devil, whatever you want to call this interdimensional thing that gives them advanced off-world technology, the fallen one that's not of this world is giving them advanced knowledge on how to construct these systems that have already been used before on other populations. Uh, okay, so, I mean, that already goes down the rabbit hole before we get to that part, which we will. Uh, Max, any thoughts on this uh, prediction thing that the uh, water filter merchant was just talking about? Well, as far as uh, science fiction ideas, it's clear that Alex Jones is quite well read up on them. And I have to agree if things like cybernetic augmentation is going to happen where we're able to fuse with machines a la Ghost in the Shell, I think the inevitable conclusion of that is that people are just going to be having their brains hooked up to the net in a way that sort of allows them to live the most ideal life where they're just being injected with soma a la brave new worlds all the time and then people will just be so in love with that existence that they'll give over full control of their consciousness over to this hive mind and then we'll be in something like the matrix and then morpheus will be coming out to try and get us out of the system and rage against the machine and 
But aren't we already in that state to a certain extent? The amount of time that people look over at their smartphones, you know, it's as if this has become another organ that you can't really live without. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're getting there. It's it's just this is sort of the nascent stages before we can actually start to fuse. Um, and the smartphone is sort of the the beginnings of that. So maybe sometime mm. over the next 20 years, once... Uh, uh, limb, bionic limbs and bionic eyes start to be perfected and be indistinguishable from the way that, uh, you know, a normal human organic limb or organ functions, then the more that we progress in that direction, then we can do brains and we can implant uh, ar artificial brains with our organic brains. And then eventually uh, we'll just be hooked up to the net and then our individuality will be completely gone. But hopefully, you know, there will be ethicists that are at the forefront of all these decisions uh, overlooking all this. But I don't know if it, what Elon Musk said about AI, speaking of Joe Rogan, when he was on Joe Rogan talking about AI and saying that people aren't slowing down their approach to developing AI, I'm, I'm not feeling particularly optimistic. I'm not feeling particularly optimistic either, except for one thing, which is... Um, this is something that I also wanted to uh, discuss with, uh, and whenever he's going to c come to his senses and not be in the uh, unfortunate state that he is in regarding uh, his opinion on Catholics and other, uh, oh, and other God, revealed yeah. religious-minded people, then we'd be able to talk. But uh, so far, though, I would separate, let's say, I would separate the ideas uh, of Giorgiani as far as good ideas and bad ideas. So Jason Giorgiani is somebody who eventually we may have on the show, and he wrote a book talking about the spectral revolution, the idea that there have been multiple studies done that uh, modern-day, uh, let's say, skeptics and uh, scientific community people don't really like discussing having to do with the psychic powers, having to do with being able to go into this, uh, you know, collective unconscious, whatever you want to say, and take certain information out of there. And I'm curious what you're, based on the experiences that you've personally had, the things that you've read, Max, what is your stance on the collective unconscious, not just in the psychological sense, not just in the science fiction sense, but in the true sense of being something that we can tap into in a interconnected way? <laughs> That's a huge question, man. Uh, you know, I, I get a lot of crap from people saying that I actually believe in the collective unconscious just because I read a lot of young. I, I don't I read a lot of young just because I find him to be interesting. I think that he is always trying to think outside the box. And I just like that type of thinking, no matter where it goes, even if I agree or disagree with it. That's why uh, when I read a book like Ion and he discusses astrology, I, I like reading about it, even though I don't necessarily agree with it. So but. As far as the collective unconscious goes, there are two possible outcomes that I can sort of foresee. One is that it's real and that Jung was onto something and that consciousness and mind is sort of interwoven into the fabric of our universe. Or two, consciousness is an illusion that's just produced by random firings of neurons in our brain. I like to think that given what I've read and the evidence that I've seen that there is some sort of evidence for a collective unconscious. I think that we're creating our own material version of that with something like the internet. And that eventually once human, like going back to what we were just talking about, once human beings are able to link up their brains with the net, that will sort of be the, the collective unconscious given material form. Uh, 
But that is, to me, a bit of a disturbing thought if you're talking about technology being utilized for this. While I agree that it may be possible, I still find AI and technology like ones and zeros to, you know, have the potential to keep people within the closed loop, if that makes sense. Yeah. So people only know and reference the things that are inside of their vocabulary. So we have different slangs and we have certain slangs and pronouns and hashtags on Twitter, for example, that people are used to. Same thing with memes. People are used to the certain language, just like you would have a tribe somewhere uh, in the uh, Southwest Indies that has their own mythology and their own language. And whenever they have like a ship come in or like an airplane then you've seen those um series of cargo cults where they would uh make the same ship out of straw not really knowing what exactly it's supposed to do so my fear here is that when we limit ourselves to just thinking about the possibilities in terms of what technology can we use to interface with we may become trapped with another another cycle we may may become trapped in technology would you give any any credence to the idea that there may be beyond just the collective unconscious as far as this uh, concept a an existence you could call it existing in the astral plane you could call it the afterlife heaven whatever you want that there can be an actual existence beyond our mortal bodies within the realm of thought within the realm of ideas and this is let's say more of a like this experience is more of a solidified uh, experience this is something that people like uh, Rudolf Steiner have talked about, as well as other people, as well as Eastern religions, that this is like the solidification of thought, and this is what we're experiencing, but there's more beyond that. It's it's something that I've given a lot of thought to, and Jung, oddly enough, um, even though I was just sort of saying that I was ambivalent about a lot of Jung's ideas, I do think that he was on to something when he pointed out two things in regards to... Um, the nature of consciousness and where we go after we die. One is that opposites are necessary in order for existence to be. And so I think that without death, there can't be life. And upon death, there has to be some sort of return to life. It's just, it's the cycle of nature. It's the yin and yang. And then the second thing was, um, what was it? The other thing I was going to, Oh, yeah. Uh, he said this at the end of Ion. He said that he said that there can't be much difference between mind and matter, because how can mind exist uh, without matter producing it? And matter cannot be completely different from mind, because how else can mind move matter or something like that? And with those two statements, it sort of suggests to me that upon death, there is some sort of transcendent existence that goes beyond current human comprehension, but obviously without a way to sort of prove that on an objective level, it's hard to express full belief in it. We, I can, you can only really go with sort of Jung and Freud and, you know, them trying to put forward their theories about things that you can't actually prove in regards to the nature of the afterlife. So that's as much sense as I've been able to make of it. I don't know if well, you guys were able to understand what I just said. Yeah, like I think we're getting ahead of ourselves. 
sorry do you want to say something i was i said you want to say something young my god what the fuck? <laughs> that's a good sign Go that ahead, means i'm on my I, way i have no. a longer point no, no no i want well okay then i'm gonna say patreon.com slash break the rules become a patron geo go ahead buddy i think that um it's very interesting when young talk i mean it's funny how like certain academics have an odd deference for young as opposed to other ones because in academia, especially with the development of existentialism, then later going on to phenomenology, Freud becomes very important. Ironically enough, even to feminists like uh, Irigari and other hmm. ones. <laughs> but um, because when it comes to like the storehouse of ideational, largely appetitive con uh, contents within the unconscious, which you have in the Freudian model, um, Jung was much more favored by the later developments and ironically enough, postmodernists such as Deleuze, there's only really one passage where apart from the Francis Bacon book, where Deleuze goes into young and that's in the thousand plateaus and he's very favorable towards him. I remember when I was in grad school, my professor who he knew me, right? I was into young way before Jordan Peterson. Um, he's like, well, you look at this passage. It was in uh, the faciality passage. And I'm like, I, I was stunned because he, cause, cause anti-Oedipus before, or schizo um what was it called uh schizophrenia capitalism schizophrenia that was basically shredding freud and the oedipal complex as a limiting function but it's interesting how when young approaches the question whether it's in civilization and transition or other works when he for example visited a lot of tribes in africa I f where did he go i i forget exactly where he went which exact tribe i think it was the igbo tribe um he noticed how each manifestation of the archetypes they are very rooted which again this is something that even georgiani had very much problem with in the one jeffrey mishlove interview he had a pro like they're much more situational than people think they're much more rooted within the particular instantiation of each culture and each tribe and each even ethnicity young even goes that far and then later on certain uh esoteric racist like serrano would take that <laughs> would mm -hmm. take that um but i think that we're getting ahead of ourselves and i kind of want to save this for uber boy but what we were saying before about ai what was fascinating when i watched your video this was like god a long time ago not a long time ago but um the the metal gear solid video that you did max it's interesting how when they the plot is that they want to select for information to aid in human evolution but it's very much a how should i put it they make the assumption that and again i think a lot of tech nerds make this assumption unfortunately because of their materialist thinking that it's like a one-to-one -one scale of having quote-unquote good information equating proper choices then equating human evolution in a in a sort of like an epiphenomenal way of like well if my surroundings in terms of the information ecology that i'm in if that's good if that can aid me because the ai can of course predict which information can aid in human evolution <coughs> then therefore i can become the uh this like you know transition Gotten. into an ubermensch right yeah exactly but what's interesting is that that's a very ancient debate if you go to for example the protagoras Plato, he makes the same assumption. He says that proper information given 
almost like as an input mechanism into the soul will lead to better results will lead to the growth of the human right Mm -hmm. but of course later on we know that that's kind of bullshit that's like one take that plato had i mean apart from his takes about the work of art that he was kind of wrong about him at least in my opinion because we know demonstrably that even if people do have good information they don't it's always not, act in their best interest. Exactly. It's not like an AI, it's not like an algorithmic program that you can punch in certain sequences and it can spit out by and like more or less can spit out a result mm. that you want it to. It's because people have good information all the time. You know that if I take heroin, my life is going to get destroyed, but we do yeah. it anyways, right? But to uh, to defend the AI system a little bit here, they want to get rid of a lot of noise too. And yeah, let's face it, oh, Gio, that's fun. There's plenty of noise on the internet, so... Right, but here's the problem. How do you determine between what is noise and what isn't? And how do you know that the people that Mm. program the AI aren't just inputting their own biases that will ultimately result in the destruction of the human race? And if we go through the with the canon of the Metal Gear Solid saga, that is exactly what almost happens in Metal Gear Solid 4, right? Oh, is that the one with the, the plague where they got the... The girl, the the woman that has the superpowers, is that? The no, one? that's a Metal Gear Solid Five. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. And that takes place like three deck. Oh God, I feel like such a nerd right now. I, it takes place three decades before uh, Metal Gear Solid Two. Metal Gear Solid Four is the reality that occurs uh, after the AI takes hold of the in- entire planet, and what ultimately happens is. Uh, this huge war economy balloons across the world where people are constantly engaged in combat and just, I guess, sort of weeding themselves out. Um, And it's something that one of the progenitors of the AI, a character named Big Boss, calls a colossal mistake on behalf of the AI. And that colossal mistake uh, could happen, even though we build an AI to filter out information like that, just one miscalculation can bring about the death of the human race oh yeah but um i wanted to ask you before we move on um it seems that you occupy i know this is going to be terrible because i'm just going to be insulting jacob geller again but like um it seems that you've managed to like stay afloat in terms of like video game and like culture analysis on youtube um you've managed to like do do something that's interesting and unique because it seems like the field has been overtaken by again like the usual suspects of you know there's always like a suspicion of like being i don't know problematic or something mm-hmm. but I, I can only really think of like you our friend noah hugbox and a few other people who do it quite well and who's because it depends because either yeah. there's like lowest common denominator like well, here's uh, t- turkey tom does. as well although turkey oh, tom yeah, is turkey more tom, youtubers yeah yeah but even like specifically with video game content or or films it's like the usual like i'm explaining the plot but then there's like the other stuff which is sort of like a hyper politicization of it but i i don't know it's like even though i'm not a gamer per se it's like i still you manage to capture something i think that's there Mm -hmm. even though i'm skeptical of the ability of video games to deliver us into a sort of truth the way that for example the fine arts did yeah i I don't know i think that it's it's very interesting like how you managed to but even just it says something about our relationship to video games 
it's not a simple absorption into a medium. It's like there's a comportment there. There's activity. But at the same time, you sacrifice what Benjamin would call the aura. That sort of uniqueness of what a artistic property is. Now, keep in mind that Benjamin, because he was a Marxoid, he thought that that was a good thing. That in the future, hyper-politicized art would deliver us into the revolution, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, you know? But if you're like a reactionary such as myself, then you'd stop at that part where he says that um, art that is created by an individual through various like ritualistic traditions that that's dead and that mechanical reproduction now digital reproduction uh that's sort of like gone by the wayside that's mm. now art becomes this thing it becomes the culture industry it becomes like you know no longer can like one visionary produce a video game although there is people that do that mm. but it, there's just well, so much kojima I think like Kojima somebody yeah, but... who's able to uh, do a good job of that. Like he was able to predict the whole mm. uh, Backstreet Boys world tour thing in his own way oh, with yeah, uh, that's de- right. Death Stranding. You know, like no, but somebody... they're still like required like a lot of different people to do very spe- hyper specific things. Yeah, but that's just like you know? a painter. You could have Rubens who had a whole factory of people that were uh, you know making brushstrokes on his artwork. So at a certain point, with any kind uh... of uh, industry like Miyazaki, Miyazaki has know. plenty of people. Know. No, I. Believe me, me you had to bring up just people. to piss me off. You had to bring up the Ruben's example. <laughs> wow, oh. I know I do like. Okay, a lot I'll, of Ru- give I'll give you I that one. I do like a lot of Rubenesque uh, ladies out there. But shout out to all the Rubenesque ladies out there. But anyway, well, Warhol uh, ha- comes to mind as well. Yes, Warhol exactly. Yeah. Well, you have somebody like Miyazaki, who, from what I understand, is pretty dictatorial when it comes to what he expects of the people who work under him, and it's his vision. It's nobody else's, yet he is able to wield, just like Walt Disney, and you could say the nine old men too, back in the day of old Disney, were able to wield a lot of power and influence. Same thing with the people from Termite Terrace who were making the Bugs Bunny cartoons. But now it almost seems like the people who are in charge of art and entertainment are people who are plugged into a different frequency, I'd say a lower quality frequency, which you could see in a lot of animations that come out today. Like, I know, Max, how much um, animation do you watch, let's say, like Cartoon Network, Nickelodeon, any of the stuff that's coming out right now? Like, I could maybe name on my uh, on my fingers how many, like, more or less recent animations I really like. I mean, Courage the Cowardly Dog, I know that's not recent-recent, but that comes to mind as being, like, an example of a modern animation that I think is really uh, brilliant. But other than that, like, I know people have good things to say about uh, Gumball, which was on Cartoon Network. So, you know, there are, you know, Adventure Time, I think, has a lot of interesting things to offer. But it does still seem like people are stuck, at least this is what I've heard from some of the animators who are in um, California working on this stuff, that people are stuck in the state of fear, that they don't want to overstep on somebody's uh, toes when it comes to saying the wrong thing Mm. and i think it does kind of reflect on the art world and the animation world when it comes to what uh, what things end up getting talked about but uh, i don't know max so what what do you think um so two things one i want to address that but i also want to go back to what geo was just trying to ask me as far as watching cartoons nowadays dog i can't the simpsons is my all-time favorite tv show i can't even watch oh god (laughs) yeah yeah. I grew up with it, man. It's oh fuck. I can't. I can't <laughs> even watch the the newer episodes of The Simpsons. So no, I don't watch a whole lot of cartoons nowadays. I partially one because I just don't have time. I, I don't have a lot of time to watch TV. Um, 
but lately I will say that because of, you know, the positive influence of my girlfriend, who is a huge weeb, she's been getting me into uh, a whole bunch of classic anime. That's why I recently just did a video on a anime that's very much loved called Neon Genesis Evangelion. And uh, just being able to weed out the, the brilliance of stuff like that. But as far as what's coming out nowadays, I, I can't say that I've watched stuff like Adventure Time or BoJack Horseman or Family Guy. Or, but uh, although uh, I will say I have watched South Park, I, I do still watch South Park. And I think that that particular TV show is in a is in a special place where regardless of what side of the political spectrum you're on or what cultural issues you're whatever perspective you hold on those people are willing to project the trickster joker archetype onto the creators of that show and just allow them to say what they need to say and we're all the better for it but again that's sort of a unique situation and not a whole lot of other cartoonists nor anybody else uh, who works in tv or movies or whatever uh they don't really have that privilege right well there, there's problems with uh south park depending on who you ask by the way, I love that to you and love is red. I love that name, intersectional Arianist. That's amazing. That's I love that. <laughs> We're it's, not Reddick, damn it. Anyways, no, it's uh, it's funny considering that uh, most of the time that I uh, spent as far as uh, any of these uh, channels out there would definitely be 4chan, specifically 4chan poll. It's very interesting though that for you're a digging lot of yourself the, deeper, love is a, a, a phony. The, so it's yeah, for a lot for, for a lot of the new for a lot of the newcomers. Um, who are here either for Max or uh, Uruboyo, they happen to have a certain opinion, but fuck it, let them have it, and you will you will learn as we go on what exactly this oh. is about. But anyway. No, I... I <laughs> don't feed... The, no, South Park is definitely the... I hate to say the best now that King of the Hill is gone, but uh, I, the problem with South Park is that you, you always get the discourse around, like... I mean, people... Like, there was that one tweet that blew up, I think it was, like, a few months ago, but it's, like, regular like uh south park's apathy and like you know gen x type of uh make fun of everything that that's enabled uh evil nasty reactionary thought and then you have people on the right like on my camp would say that south park was ultimately never serious about its actual cultural subversiveness because south yeah. park i think is just a, it's like a gen x type of foible it's like a time capsule i don't know well, I, yeah, there are always going to be people that uh, do that sort of stuff. And yeah, I'm not, I've seen those types of people too. I'm just mm -hmm. saying that when it comes to the vast majority of people that are aware of the show and that watch mm -hmm. the show, it seems like they do have that special status. But there is the potential that if we continue to go down the road that we're going on in regards to people that just want to cancel people over a particular opinion or something that they might have said uh whether it happened in the present or 10 years ago or more, uh, they might not have that special privilege mm. as the years go on. We have to be careful. Well, there is an interesting article that I read called How Cancel Culture Hurts the uh, Left. So in the article here, and I'm going to post it in the chat as well. Where is it uh, from, Love? They say it is from Unheard. Unheard, friend of the oh, show. Oh, God, no, you know? not Oh, no. I can yes. already tell this article. I mean, I love Unheard, but Claire Lehman is... Oh, well, is that this... J.K. Rowling? No, no, well, no. That's... This is not Claire Lehman. This is Kat Rosenfield. 
Oh, no, so, no, but is that picture of J.K. Rowling? Yes, yes, that is a picture of J.K. Rowling. But it goes oh. on to say here, who is this a problem for? Who actually gets threatened, shamed, or fired for failing to fall in step with the social justice left? The fact is, it's not conservatives. What the free speech fretting from the political right often misses is that this culture war is largely a left-wing civil war, and its worst casualties tend to be self-inflicted wounds. American society is increasingly segregated along political line, blah, 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 blah. But anyway, um, Max, do you agree with that statement or no, that it is mostly a left-wing civil war, and uh, according to the end of this article, that it may not be as doom and gloom as people in the doom and gloom industry make it out to be, where they're talking about uh, blah, blah, blah. Let's see. Uh, everybody subscribe. Uh, Patreon.com slash break the rules while I'm scrolling up. Uh, okay, here we go. So, concerned parents are swarming school board meetings, speaking out against race essentialist curriculum in classrooms. Innovative alternatives to Rob and D'Angelo-style diversity trainings are beginning to gain traction. So is an organized pushback against discriminatory ones. A legion of writers pushed out of legacy media are launching a mini-revolution on Substack. Cancel culture is getting more unpopular by the day, especially with younger Americans. Our legislators are beginning, albeit in their usual hall bumbling way to address the difficult question of how to preserve America's speech protections in an age when most of it, uh, it takes place on digital platforms. So there you have their perspective. Uh, Max, curious what you think. Well, uh, forgive me. I'm not exactly sure what question you're asking me. Are you just asking so for my whether, general... Yeah, your, your general uh, thoughts as to whether this uh, anti-doom and gloom sentiment of actual liberals who are uh, going to be fighting against uh, what they see as uh, not being actually liberal, if that is something that may give way to potentially, you know, more creativity instead of just making everything very politicized as it has been recently. It's hard to say, man. It's just, you see how for, uh, feverish those people that are like, some like you could tell they are somewhat in favor of cancel culture, even though they won't outright say it. Uh, and the fact that a lot of those types of people tend to be in control of the means of distribution of information. It's I, I like to think, given the backlash that we have seen um, and the more that people learn about the way that cancel culture works and just how it ruins people's lives that they'll realize, okay, well, if we don't put a stop to this now, it's going to come around to each and every one of us and ruin our ability to move forward in the world. So I have to remain optimistic, but I will say that given how overzealous some of these people can be, it's going to be a long, arduous fight. And well, to what Gio was speaking about earlier, I just wanted to quickly add in here, when it comes to creating art, creating culture in the first place, I do feel like among people who are reacting to a lot of very uh, left-leaning ideas, they spend so much time reacting to them that they don't really spend that time making art. They don't really spend as much time making something as creative. So I know, uh, gee, I'm curious what you think about that as well. And uh, oh, Max, definitely. do you find that there is this uh, dearth of culture in general where 
on the one hand, on the left side, there are the usual suspects of the things that they would promote, and it feels very bereft of any energy, while all the energy on, let's say, the right or on the left that's uh, sick of whatever's going on to, you know, what they would have considered to be previously a liberal culture, you know, like, all this time is being spent on just fighting, 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 and uh, nothing's really being created. Well, yeah, that's true, but also what was predominantly more like so, like things like art forums that would appeal more to a quote-unquote reactionary audience they have slowly been like taken over and hipsterized like video like anything that had sort of a latent masculinity to it whether it be like um comic books or uh pro wrestling or metal or you know it seems that they no longer possess like like metal is a great example of how it was largely the music of like lower class white kids, right? But then as time went on, now it becomes this like niche bourgeois, like Reddit hipster stuff, you know? But besides that, I think to bring in a, a good example would be... Um... Do you see what I have on the screen, by the way? Oh, God. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, oh, so no. that, oh, God. So, so, so um, you see, that's what I'm talking about. That seems to yeah, be the reaction. Yeah, concerns, they make very bad, like, stuff. That's equally cancerous problem. But no, what Max's recent video on there will be no splinter... What was it called? There's never going to be another splinter cell or something like that. Um, yeah. That hit, yeah, that hit, the, that hit the nail... Like, that hit the nail on the head, right? In that there's a few factors one the one theory is that cancel culture is basically a way of like this like hideous form of like leftist eugenics among themselves in terms of like elite overproduction and fighting for positions and sort of uh like like what happens when bioleninism has a bit of competition there's wait that... exp explain what bioleninism well that's like is. the spandrel thing about like people to ensure institutional loyalty you'll put like people who are more susceptible to ideology who have like very low like lump and proletarian positions you put them in positions of managerial power and they'll be loyal to the system which i had problems with but basically they say the cancel culture is a way of like mediating the sort of very few positions in the increasingly smaller space of getting positions within elite institutions there's that theory but also what max was saying in his video it's basically the, it's the problem of capitalist production in general when it comes to culture when it comes to the, that that is the culture industry where especially with video games because video games remember it's the only not apart from like a few indie developers it's the only non-decentralized art if we want to call it art form let's call it cultural production because it still requires a system. It requires huge studios with a lot of resources, with a lot of manpower. Or sorry, I'm sorry, zur power. I'm very sorry for all the uh, people in the industry. How dare um, you? Yeah, I know. But so because of that, these video game companies, what are they going to do? Are they going to produce a very niche specific thing that's going to have a gamble but is a brilliant piece of culture and art or are they going to produce another fucking call of duty shit that has the same that's essentially the same engine they've used since since modern warfare 2 what are they going to do right that's the problem that's but, also, but when and, when haven't there been junk when haven't there been just like no no the but the difference is okay. the difference is lev is that i'm not cutting you off am i no go on the difference being is that the reason that the woke stuff is such a contentious thing is because they're trying to maximize their viewership base. So in America, they'll market it as here's like an empowered woman of color that's going to like be a kick-ass Mary Sue and fight off 
the evil hordes of Nazis that took over the South again, like in the Wolfenstein one. But in China, they'll market it differently. It's basically the forces of capital trying yeah. to maximize production over... Uh Eventually, they'll yeah. have different skins for the uh, lead character. So well, they'll oh, have the exact yeah, they're same starting, They're starting that, actually, yes. yeah. So, for instance, that, that one clip that went viral of the... Uh, was it uh, Warcraft? Um, World of Warcraft, where the, the one woman asked, can you make, like, the yeah less sexy, right? And I, I agree that that was a stupid answer. I, I do think that you should probably have woman characters who are more yeah. realistic. Like, that's... I don't... I have no problem with that. I, frankly, I think like these like nerds like fawning over video game characters, like the 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 what was that one video game with like the very shapely women? Uh, it's kind of like Fortnite. Can you be more specific? <laughs> I know, I know. the The recent one that came out that had like the teams defending a ferrying a person. Oh mm. God! You well, know you the one's a the one character is a lesbian. The... Oh, Overwatch. Over there you go. Yeah, yeah. It, I agree. Like that's ridiculous, and that's probably going to infantilize younger men. But at the same time, I think that I, I don't know. I mean, again, that's the problem mm. is that a lot of it. It. I mean, yes, there is a specific cultural agenda, but there's also the factor of like it's trying to maximize capital itself. That's if you can break the system from the parameters of you have to have these certain target demographics that you have to hit. You have to make a certain benchmark of income in order to even invest in a video game to begin with. That's the problem. And and I think your video, you laid that out very well, Max. Um, Thank you. Yeah. And, and like you said, music is the same because music, I mean, especially, I mean, rock music is dead for a variety of reasons and metal is also dead. I hate to say it lifelong metal head, but it's dead as well. And 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 the the metal journalist killed it. Anyways, go ahead, Max. I'm just ranting right now. So. Well, no, I agree with you. See, uh, one thing I don't think I actually happened to get to in my Splinter Cell video is how our culture, thanks to the advent of the internet and you know our attention always being taken up by things that are entertaining to us, you know, just things that promote the the release of dopamine within our brains. Uh, because it's so available and so immediately accessible, we're constantly going after that that peak experience. And that's why, in my opinion, things like games like Battle Royales, where every game that you play is always just so intense and releases those positive chemicals, it's games like those that are constantly uh, getting sales back and making these huge profits. Um, whereas games that are more artistic and don't necessarily go for that uh, that dopaminergic uh, uh, experience, uh, they they don't do as well. And I think that as we move forward, we're going to have to become more and more aware of this if we're not going to let games like Call of Duty, games like Overwatch, completely take over the market and make it impossible for triple a games with artistic uh capacities uh to become extinct mm. uh that's what makes a triple a I, I i think um noah hugbox was talking about this what exactly for people like me who are total luddites and who don't play video games the last video game i really seriously played was like gta 4 mm. um what is a tri what makes a game triple a 
Uh, well, I, I'm, it's a bunch of different factors. It's the, it's the size of the team that's working on it. It's the type of game that you're aiming to produce. Uh, like, so let's say a game like among us is a lot easier to produce than a 3d open world game like GTA is, Hmm. uh, with a game like that, you need hundreds, sometimes thousands of programmers working on animations, making sure that the level of detail, when you look off into the distance, it it looks good and doesn't look like crap. Uh, making sure that all the animations for the guns and, um, you know, the look, the character models look good. Uh, it's basically just, making sure that everything about the game is top of the line in the industry. That's why Grand Theft Auto is the perfect Mm. example of that, because it is that, especially GTA five, when it came out, that was state of the art. And in a lot of ways, even eight years later, it still is. There was this uh, game though. I don't remember the title right now. It escapes me, but it had a dev team that resulted in these very cringe-looking faces of the main characters. You know, like that outer oh, yeah, space game? Oh, yeah, because they were trying to, yeah, make what them was the name sexy. The... I remember that. Mass Effect, that's it. Oh, yes. yeah. <laughs> My face so, is too tired. Yeah, <laughs> so that... yeah, so you can have that, but like in the same game where you can have sex with aliens. Mm-hmm. Well, Major like... Johnny has played Mass Effect. Maybe I mean it's like they can't. They can't <laughs> I, I, I let us. I didn't want to. I had. I had this fire speech lab where I wanted to like shred him with a few Bible quotes, but it's all right. Well, that's yeah. all right. Who, who knows what's gonna happen in the future? By the way, one of my favorite uh, facial expressions is this one over here from the Mass Effect girl. Oh, I have no and idea. And Uber about... Boyo, are you here, buddy? Uber Boyo, speak to us. Are oh, you there? God, yes, you... yes, I am. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Hello. I'm afraid yeah, I made memes of that face. I, I won't be here too long, I'm afraid. Um, I actually just kind of screwed up schedule. I'm on up, but I popped in. I wanted to say hello. Max, how are you, sir, by the way? Oil and, fucking um, alert. What's happening, man? Woo! How's the, how's the yeah. crack? How's life? How's life? Um, but yes, I'm here. I'm listening, and I hope all is well. All is well. Well, since you're here right now, Raboyo, I wanted to ask both you and Mask, uh, Mask, Max, you wear the mask of the yellow man. In fact, when we're talking about staying yellow... You're talking about the Simpsons. We're talking about the simp sons. We are talking about the sons of those who have simped being attached to this material reality for generation (laughs) upon generation. So when it comes to um, the collective unconscious, one of the things that I'd like to propose is that uh, when you were making that video, Max, about uh, the Overlook Hotel in The Shining as an example of... um, the uh, collective unconscious manifested, manifested. I would go one step further and say our entire reality, everything that we are experiencing in this physical space is a manifestation of the collective unconscious. And if you start to pay attention, you start to notice certain signals, whether we're talking about synchronicity, whatever you want to call it, you start to notice certain signals going on in the world. And so my question to both of you guys is, is there a way you think of transversing the spiritual plane where people would be able to, if not enlightened, at least not be stuck repeating the same cycles that, like uh, Max, you were talking about in relation to The Shining in relation to um, Jack Nicholson's character, mm-hmm. ends up being reincarnated and stuck in this particular cycle? Can we get out of these cycles, no matter which cycle we happen to be in? 
And do you see there being, and I sort of asked this to Max, 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 I sort of asked this to Max before, and I'm going to ask this to Uberboyo again. Do you think that there are certain larger cycles we can be a part of that are more fine spiritually, more uh, vibrationally high, whatever you want to say, like not as physical, more of a mental state where we can exist as thought forms. So anyway, that's a mouthful, but uh, whoever wants <laughs> well, like to start, yeah. I kind of have a bit of a take on that. Um, so you, to, to stay thematically, what many of the things that Max brings up is um, like we're talking about, we're talking about video games. And I think a very interesting mental model is to understand the world we live in as a, how could you say, open source video game like Minecraft, where there's a lot of participants and it's not really, there's no strict mission, if you will. And we just have this sort of dopaminergic systems that are pursuing, getting us to pursue foundational life goals which is to beat the basics of entropy through section and food and whatnot um but then some quite interesting things begin to happen that obviously you get absorbed in the game so much that you begin to think that it's reality and you guys might have been talking about this already so apologies if it's just a reiteration of a theme no, but um you, you start to um you start to see that it's a it's a like you start to get absorbed in it and forget that it's a video game and then what you see happening now at the sort of apex of uh, techno culture of uh, high postmodern capitalism, if you want to say that, um, is there's a lot of these people at the top who have very, very high positions of, uh, of comprehension of the world. They're starting to get into like simulation theory and whatnot. So they're sort of saying to themselves, the world is not real, like we live inside a simulation, which is essentially the, the re-arrival re, re of the Gnostic perspective that there, there's a demiurge that created mm. this reality and this reality is fake and hell, and, or, or at least very, at the very least fake. Fake and Giesler. Yeah. Yes, and, and like Plato's simulation and the, the, the cave and all this stuff. And um, what you might start to understand then is that it was, it was almost like you started playing a video game, you got lost in it, and there's this slow realization that, holy shit, I'm playing a video game. And I wonder, are we sort of culturally at, culturally at that point? And then when people use word like the collective unconscious, this is where things get really, really interesting. That's almost like the reservoir of our sort of um, collective perspective, if you will, like our, our kind of... Um, united gathered thoughts are our kind of stance on what's going on and are we sort of reaching a point right now where we're starting to get very very aware it could be incorrect but we're starting to get very very aware that the the world is a quite a surreal place and there's all these as we could say synchronicities these glitches happening in the matrix and are they sort of signaling to enough of us at this point that there's something about to change or, or there's something unreal about what's going on and are we getting advanced enough in our data collection that we can actually sort of cross analyze these things and start to detect you know, as I think I heard Alex Jones say before, like they're noticing, uh, they're noticing uh, bleeding out through the black holes, like there's glitches in the matrix and all this type of stuff. And is this is this what's going on? Maybe at the highest level, they're sort of poking at the edges of the video game, at the edges of the Minecraft server, and being like, "Wait, how do we break out of this thing? Like, what's the limits to this mm -hmm. type of thing? Maybe it's not about space and shooting in rocket ships. It's about dimensions and kind of escaping in that type of way." So, well, um, um, I wanted to ask you. Oh, sorry, well, I, sorry, I, I also I also want to know what Max thinks about the what Uberboy said. Then we're gonna go yeah, to yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, are we just asking for my opinion on the yeah. nature of the collective unconscious? Uh, well, we talked about that before. I guess what I want to try to see here is if this whole thing is uh, partly a video game or whatever you want to call it. Hmm. How much do you, let's say, uh, look at something like? what you were talking about in the video with um, uh, Answer to Job. How much do you look at this nature of us and uh, the nature of God as being something where we 
can empower the self, however you want to say that. And through empowering the self, the self can reach maybe not all the way to God initially, but to somewhere higher than it is right now. And what do you imagine that looks like? Huh. Uh, well, Jordan Peterson, he said that out of the entirety of human history, if Jung was right and it is possible to achieve the ideal version of ourselves, there's probably only been two people that ever did it. One was Jesus and the other one was Buddha. So we mm -hmm. have to ask ourselves, okay, is that the way that we should be going, even if the odds are infinitesimally, you know what I'm trying to say, against us? Um, is it possible that on the way to the self that we're able to approach, approach higher levels of conscious existence? That's something that the Buddhists and the Hindus thought. Uh, unfortunately, it's difficult to say. It's something, it's just the nature of spiritual experience. It's all subjective to you. And I, I would hope that anybody who approaches spiritual issues like that will sort of take the same path that Jung did, which is you're trying to balance the knowledge of science with the soul of spiritualism and religion and everything that you do and try to be honest with yourself because at least then you will be able to approach something like the objective self the 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 god man that we're all trying to emulate but again it's just a theory and you gotta see if it works best for you and hmm. yeah well, well i wanted to ask both you and uber boyo um i i think the two thinkers to me in the age of sort of like what Bauman called liquid modernity or hypermodernity. Uh, I think the two most important thinkers, um, what Deleuze said that it's the century of Foucault. I think that we're going to live in the century of Deleuze and the century of Jung, ironically enough. I think that, for example, I was reading about how they want to program like uh, AI and voice command within like our like planned city environments themselves so like when you walk down the street you'll hear like this disembodied voice mm -hmm. of uh <laughs> of like someone telling you the time or the weather or something it's, it's it's like almost like schizophrenia in a way it's really this weird like they want to create like the inner ringing of like this shamanic experience where the trees talk to you right but it's really interesting how, how does how do you both think that young's corpus of theory especially when it comes to the unconscious is it affirmed or is it problematized in the age of like technology and liquid modernity and so forth because like for example when you talked about the ufo experience i i wonder like if someone could like do a deep dive in the ways in which young's stance towards technology especially when it comes to globalization uh how does that work? Does it problematize it or does it strengthen Young's claims? Okay, I'm going to say two words and then I'm going to give it over to Uber Boyle because I know mm. he's going to go ham with this, okay? AI, <laughs> Jesus, go. Oh, God. <laughs> um, there's, there's a load of stuff you have to bring it up, uh, especially the... Um, like, there, there's... Well, I guess, Geo, like maybe I should try articulate what I think you're asking so I can kind of mm. point it in a, a more direct question. Because are you sort of saying, is Jung's model of the, the unconscious a functional philosophical category to help us deal 
with the chaos of what seems to be coming in terms of uh, AI maybe even replacing Jesus and offering us salvation and whatnot, as is often promised, and then turning into the voice in our head instead of the Holy Spirit that might be inside of us well, all. Well, I think AI will be, it will mimic, as it is said in Revelation, the, this Antichrist will seem like Christ. It will mimic the cadence of Christ. So maybe, mm. no, but I, I think, yeah, young, that's a good, yeah, is Young's model given for example, the experience of globalization and information networks, like you said, is it a philosophic category that can help us explain and yeah, sort okay. of navigate our hypermodernity? So a theme you'll often get from listening to me is I'll be banging on and go about jargon. I'll be like, everything's jargon. We hate jargon. I'm anti. Mm. I'm a member of the global secret society of anti-jargon countermeasures. And what I sort of mean by this is, um, it's it's like you should never explain your jokes, but it's it's just sort of a meme on how midwit the vast majority of like thinkers are and intellectuals are because mm. they get they get bedazzled by the amazing um, words that people bring up. So for example, uh, a grug and nobody will come in. And they won't understand any of these strange words like unconscious and anima and the shadow. And so if, you know, a Jungian wants to teach the grug, the, the Jungian psychology, you will use these, these categories in order to sort of like signals or signs to, post, to point him towards these phenomenon within the mind. But ultimately, these are just signposts. They're not actually real. They're not actually right. um, in any way useful. Well, all right, Jesus, no, that's not correct. They're not in any way true. They're just useful. And what you're using these these pieces of jargon this is literally what the term means to do is you're creating sort of names to point people towards things and jargon can be incredibly accurate like just like names and categories are like concepts can be incredibly accurate but they also ultimately fall short of the actual real thing the actual experience they're just a sort of a representation and this is actually very um, common in simracla or simaculum he might is that the lose i'm not too sure the guy who yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So it's the sort of that type of indication. And then the sort of step after this is realizing that, you know, as a, a, a high wit, a, a genius wit, whatever you call this, you start to realize the jargon was only ever a, a signpost and you must actually reintegrate the experience for yourself and understand it. So when Jung says, um, when, sorry, someone at the door here, when Jung says uh, jargon, what does he exactly mean? What is he, what is he, uh, when he brings up the shadow or he brings up the anima or he brings up all these type of things, what is he pointing towards? And that's actually a phenomenological experience that's almost uncategorizable. He simply uses the categories to help us see this stuff. So he goes through a psychotic schizophrenic break, essentially, which is what we would categorize about now with our jargon. But that doesn't yeah. mean that's what it is. That's just the word we use. But nonetheless, he goes through something we would uh, jargonize as schizophrenia. And um, he has this massive breakdown. All this stuff pours into him. All he has this huge experience of the, a fucking voice in his head telling him that World War One is going to happen. And then it does happen. And then he has this, this soul, his, this, this female inside of him, you know, the inner girl. And sort of say, all right, like, I, I love you, but you, you've kind of rejected me and I'm empty and you need to, to fill yourself up with energy and I will empower you. This is his anima. And then he goes through all this vista of the explorations and all this stuff. And he's just like fucked after this. He's like, what just happened here? Where did that come from? What was going on here? Like, who was this? How did something come out of my head and talk to me and tell me the future and predict it correctly? Like, Jesus. And so he sits there and he's like, almost lost it. Almost ended up like Nietzsche, hugging the horse, running an eternal incel being taken care of his sister by his sister. He almost lost it. He almost lost the run of himself. And so he sits down and he tries to order what happened to him by creating a sort of conceptual way of seeing things, a conceptual language, a, a set of jargon, a, a set of concepts. And this turns into Jungian psychology, if you will. And um, 
and then the question, the mistake that I see so many people making is that they turn around then and say that like, all right, well, Jung categorizes all this stuff and therefore um, he becomes like a prophet and you must take his jargon and then say that's going to be the stable categories that we're going to use for the rest of time in order to conceptualize something. And um, it might not be the case at all. Like maybe we, Jung could show us a method of thinking that will be incredibly useful, but it won't take us anywhere. It won't actually like help us. It won't actually um, get us, you know, it, it might not be the final way that we conceptualize the experience of the mind or any right. of these type of things. Right. It might be the, might be a set of signs that we have to culturally critique and then we'll move on to a new set of ones. And right. there's many arguments for Christianity, for example, that it was sort of taking Hellenism's categories and concepts and adding an embodied spirit, as Peugeot said to me the other day, like it's exactly that way of thinking about this stuff. And so um, what will be the correct model for the future is hard to say. Um, and more than anything, we're actually sort of wrestling with the idea of like, how do you correctly categorize what is currently happening? What is the phenomenon of the mind that are in force? And the thing that I'm always encouraging people to do is that like, if we're going to talk about the collective unconscious, like what do you mean? If you talk to a Christian about this stuff, oftentimes like someone who's not really aware of Jung or doesn't like Jung, they'll simply use God to replace the word the collective unconscious and when you actually break down the jargon even though that sounds weird that's not exactly what's going on this is this is how the the, the words interchange and parlance it, the synchronicity means destiny you know the anima means the holy spirit like these these are the sort of transitions the 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 the, the commonalities the true experience underneath this stuff and if we're really to talk about what is going to consolidate as the philosophical categories the mental categories that we're going to use to represent the world to ourselves in the future and um, god knows will it be something new will be will we will we double down on young maybe like many of young's concepts have made it into to daily life extrovert mm -hmm. introvert is a perfect mm -hmm. example um but i guess the thing that i'm always focusing on is the understanding of what thinking is and how people mentally model stuff and as i would often say uh the the left hemisphere loves categorizations and it loves getting consolidated in them but the right hemisphere's job is literally to annihilate those and shear that stuff apart and rebaptize them with new and better ones and whatnot and so are we sort of going to go through some type of experience like that so uh, there's so much that you asked me that i have to cover that i can't cover but i guess i, I just sort of leave that uh, that thesis there at its roots i'm afraid to say i'll probably have to bounce soon enough as well gentlemen well, right, before, well, before, you, before, before you bounce, anybody here who has any quick super chat you want to do right now, sneed those super chats right now for Uberboyo, for Max, for us to answer, and we shall do that. That is very important. Yes. Sorry, I just, Stefan, I, I need to build off uh, a bunch of what you just said. You said all that beautifully, but in just in regards to uh, uh, finalizing, I suppose, Jung's idea of the shadow and evolving it to a point where it's a little bit more useful. Uh, you were right when you said that a lot of his concepts are just abstract subjective concepts and that people refer to these uh, unknowable realities, these archetypes by different names. Some call it the collective unconscious, some call it God, some call it Brahman, some call it the astral plane. What uh, Jung actually said, and you can affirm this in Ion, is that the fundamental challenge that we're going to be having over the next Ion in the Ion of Aquarius is the coming together of these two spiritual energies, one being the sentiment of science, the other one being the sentiment of religion. And I suppose it's the intermingling of these two energies to try and get to a closer understanding of these things that Jung was getting at, a more accurate understanding that's less abstract and more scientific, more objective. That's going to be something that's going to happen in the next ion. So for example, just 
you know, he talks about the shadow. You can't exactly measure what the shadow is or the objective reality of it because it's so subjective to everybody. But as long as you have those two, uh, the scientific and the religious working towards the same goal and trying to identify what it really is, then maybe mm -hmm. we'll get to a, a greater understanding and be able to apply that understanding uh, when it comes to our construction of things like AI. Well, uh, speaking of this uh, integration of uh, science and spirituality, do you give any credence to the idea that there are certain processes like Max, when you were talking about the video of the uh, great mother of chaos, of the uh, feminine energy of Shakti, whatever you want to call it, that there would be certain things that I can only speak for myself as far as when I meditate, I see that light in the center. I also see like a donut ring around it. So this is something that I wonder, would this be something that if everybody sat down, started meditating, eventually they would get to that same point of being able to see the exact same thing. Could those things be used in a way to cement a certain objective as opposed to a subjective reality when it comes to what exactly is going on in these uh, higher levels? It's worth giving it a shot. I'll Absolutely. just say that. Yeah. Absolutely. But uh, Uber Boyle, you're going to say something before you head off? Well, I was, I was going to some, somewhat address um, what Max was talking about, because I, I guess I, I want to make sure that we're clear, because in some sense, I'm not trying to be, um, um, I don't, don't want to discard Jung. Like, I certainly don't mean that. I mean more than anything that the process of settling down on is very, very, it's, it's actually, I, I think Nietzsche, I'm a very big Nietzsche show, because I think Nietzsche correctly conceptualizes the way that he expects people to pro uh, approach this. You can look up his concept of the philosopher of the future, and he constantly discusses about this idea of reevaluating all values. And I know a lot of people are like, you know, like, oh, you can't do that and all this type of stuff. But when you really understand what he's sort of talking about, he, he is asking many people to go in and sheer at all understood categories and try to see a breakdown it's like you create a, a palace of categories and that becomes like your worldview and the process of, of 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 transforming and evolving is you let that worldview die and then you have a new worldview that is born where you reconceptualize and recategorize what's going on like even in terms of neuropsychology what happens when you dream like the purpose of a dream it looks like in some level it's very complicated but the purpose of a dream is that you wake up during the day and you create a world model in your head perhaps even in your left hemisphere your ego whatever you want to call it and it's sort of built up of a set of um, signs and categories and everything around you gets rendered into low resolution and everything turns into like little tools that you can use little categories like even they're, they're built in with like functional statements inside of them it's like you're coded like a computer so you're walking around and you see like you know i've got my deodorant here or something like this and i don't really see it for its eternal resonance of what it is i see it as like the thing i pick up and press and i automate that to some extent and it squirts out this nice smell so if i see any girls i can and um, perform the many things that I, I am designed to perform in that regard and this is um, a reduction of reality and for the sake of being functional. And this is the left hemisphere doing what it does in, in its perfect sense. But then what the dreams do is they actually attack and break down and try to update all these categories in your head to give you like rebirths of new possible perspectives. So you do, hopefully don't have to do that at the, during the day, which is when you kind of need to perform and stuff like this. And mm -hmm. this, this, this individual process scales to the collective process. And so what you see is um, with people like Nietzsche, you know, he's sort of saying God is dead. The category palace is going to 
fall and we need to reorganize a new category palace that is effective and updated and accurate for the modern world. We need to dive into chaos and come back out of it with a new gleaming way of seeing the world, new set of categories. And Jung participated in that just as much as Nietzsche did. Jung participated in a diving into the chaos and coming out with a new set of categories. And many of them are really accurate and you could even say many of them actually updated our understanding and many of them are useful and something like the shadow we can certainly bring that forward like i, I don't think there's any i think that's a great concept really useful really helps a lot of people um but then we we've got a sort of like a lot of different questions like is that any different than in original sin you know what i mean like are we can we cross analyze these and understand that these categories are these ways of modeling certain mental constructs are are they are, do they share commonalities? Is there a sort of universal per, per, uh, perspective? Maybe Jung's concept of the shadow is that perspective because mm. Jung is a very smart dude. And then is there parts he got like uh, that could be challenged from his things? And what do they help us do? And do we need to create new categories? Do we need to just take more, the ones that Jung found useful and get rid of them? He said his project was to try to prove that humans have a soul. And he, he actually largely believed he failed at doing that. He was very sad about that at the end of his life. But um, But you can kind of see what he's trying to do. Like he's trying to give us tools or ways or, or lenses categories that we can look into ourselves and say that there's an actual real living world inside of us there that we need to kind of connect with a part of and i guess the great challenge of modeling out the correct ideological or mental or ego the collective ego for the future because that's really what the challenge is we're in the postmodern age now where there's no one we're schizophrenic at the moment there's no one way of seeing the world and we need to try to consolidate well, do we do we need to? There's even another question. But anyway, and um, the 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 general idea is that right. Let's try collectively settle on an ego so that we become effective, like the way the Christians were settled on the Christian perspective, like the way Rome had its Roman perspective. Do we need to wait for a new one to consolidate? What will that be in the, in 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 front of technology? What will that mean? Like people like Jason Giorgiani, who was talking about, he was supposed to be on today. He's talking about like how do we conceptualize the mind if telepathy is real, if UFOs are real, if um, um, technology is able to penetrate inside of us and rewire our thoughts like what's the correct ego and categories for that and ultimately if that stuff comes down the pipe maybe maybe young's categories will work but, but maybe they won't and like maybe they won't be enough and it's really hard to figure that out and what we're going to do with that we just do you have believe be... yeah Sorry, we, we just, just have, have to be open we just we do have to be open but also do you think uh, both of you guys do you think it's a matter of our personal experience where every single struggle that we have it's there specifically for us to overcome it would you say that this is a personal test would you lean on that being the case it's like um, life in general uh, like yes to an extent like always you know stand up and be an individual and all that stuff as well but uh, these things don't happen necessarily with the they, they happen over our heads they're like gods moving above our heads like the categories are almost like the gods it's weird yeah. and uh the way we're conceptualizing the world as a collective the collective ego it's it's above our heads and it will happen without us as much as with us and we can certainly participate in it and Jung would even warn people it's like you probably don't want to participate this as much as, as much as you wish because the more you get into the bigger ideas the more you're you're going you're going closer to know Jesus's problem, which is to represent the truth, you're going to probably get isolated, betrayed, and killed for this. Like for example, the more you try to update the categories, the more the, the more you run closer to um, being yeah. being ostracized, being attacked by the. But what's the evil. alternative, though? Isn't the alternative just to do whatever it is that you're doing and be stuck in a cycle? Wouldn't the only well, way not, out not at all, be? Man. You can live a very productive, healthy and useful life with full of meaning by, you know, shutting up and just having a family and just letting the collective ego do what it does. And that's not even a joke. 
like nature can operate her will, which is very, very important through you when you just turn your head off and stop trying to like get involved in things that maybe you don't need to get involved with. Or, or you can try to become a high priest. And like, think about this archetype, for example, like so fascinating. The high priests of the Catholic Church were all celibate. They're like anti-life and anti-nature, but their job was to guide the, the underclasses and guide them towards life and health. And they, they promoted <laughs> lots of babies. Like that was the kind of trade of the Catholics, like have lots of kids. It's so strange and ironic. So their sort of celibacy is, is uh, weirdly the opposite behavior from these people at the bottom. And that's a crazy thing to ask of someone. It's like, do you want to become a neurotic high IQ intellectual that's like uh, going to not have children, just like go no nut for life or something like this? Or do you want to like, what, what's the point of that? It's such a strange way to organize. Yeah, do you things. want to become a wizard? But the, yeah, uh, yeah, but the problem, though, being pure in yeah. the face of the Lord. But, but Raboyo, the big problem, though, is what Nietzsche points out. He anticipates that there's going to be a divergence between the Ubermensch and the robot people. Do you agree with that? Disagree with that? Do you think that that's why we should emphasize for the people who are able to start evolving over time to do so right now? Or do you think that that's absolute BS? You disagree with Nietzsche there? Uh, what did he say? The, the Well, he talked about there being a split of uh, people, where on one hand you would have a minority of people who are the ubermensch, and on the other hand you would have a majority of the people who would be very roboticized, they would just go according to the AI system or whatever we want to call it, and uh, eventually they're just going to be robots in the, uh, you know, in that very strict sense of the word, like robot, robotnik, slave, whatever you want to say, that uh, they're going to be a slave to their passions even to more of an extent than they are now. This is that's a that's a hard question, man. And like that that's a hard question. And you've got a lot of very very difficult questions to ask there because, um, like as Nietzsche pointed out, like you think of it this way: if Nietzsche was trying to be a coach for the the, the Brahmin caste, because like the, the Catholic Church was set up on the philosophy of Plato, and Plato proposed in the Republic a set of, in some sense, eugenic, um, celibate celibate or sexually immoral elites that would you know, go to the top of society and live different than the people they ruled. And the Catholic Church is literally modeled on that. That's what it is. It's the fulfillment of that vision. It's so fascinating to see it play out. And it's not like that didn't work out. Like the peasants, of course, it wouldn't have been nice to be a peasant, but there was upsides to being a peasant. There was like, it, it just was what it was, you know? Some things went well, some things went bad. Some things were were, were cool. Like it, it's just, it's, 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 nothing is that binary, you know? And then there was a sort of caste system involved there as well. We had the aristocrats, the lords, and they were a very specific set of people. They were the, the, the ruling race, if you will, the, the sort of Germanic kings who took over Rome at the fall of it. And it's kind of strange network of these things and in some sense this is like the archetype of the hierarchy and we're always moving towards that we can't deny nature we can't deny hierarchies in nature and class systems in nature that are that are present and so when we kind of look at what's happening now and um, that that's the will like that's the will of the it's like the eternal archetype is there there needs to be a caste system even though we don't like it now there's the rich the poor and the middle class like it's there still or you can even think of like there's the intellectuals or the priests or the doctors and the intellectuals and the experts they're essentially the ascendant brahmins and then we have the maybe the middle class and then we have the the poor or something like this it's it's strange like these things show up no matter what no matter how how much we try to change it and so what what is is nietzsche necessarily saying that there'll be a robot people maybe maybe he's saying that mm. we're going to go through a chaos and there'll be a self-selection thing and the, the peasants of the future will be in a terrible position and that could be true and um, maybe he'll he'll it won't be as bad as people make it out to be 
maybe it's our prerogative that we all try to avoid it as much as possible. And then there also maybe will be opportunities for people to slot in as the sort of managing or ruling or controlling or ascendant or planning or like the, the, the European aristocrats. And they were downsized. They were like crooked in some ways, but they're also very, very noble in some ways. Were they all powerful, murderous beasts? Definitely not. They were actually tempered quite a lot by the church, but they were also creative in many ways. And they're like you know, upsides and downsides with everything. And so is something like this going to form now in the future? Will the Ubermensch be a kind of marriage between the Brahmin caste and the, the creative um, aristocratic of the aristocrats of the future? Will there be a peasant class? I don't know. I really don't know. But I, I see Nietzsche trying to conceptualize possibilities for the future. And I think the thing I love about Nietzsche is his concepts just like are razor sharp, like a lot of them come true in a quite a scary way. So I don't know. I don't know. Is that a good answer? No, that was a great answer. I want to make sure, Burboyo, that you would still have time or unless you have to go. You got to be very frank with us just because there may be a super chat coming in. I think one of the people here is about to, genres and generations wants to think of a good super chat to ask. So I mm -hmm. don't know if that's for you or for Max. So just tell us exactly how much time we, ha oh, we yeah, have. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've, 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 I've time. I've time. I'll, I'll literally okay. like, I'll bounce so, and I, uh, I'm running out of right. so, five, ten minutes. All right, cool. So there is an anime which I highly recommend everybody check out. It's called uh, Shin Sekai Yori, or From the New World. I don't know if you guys have seen that, but in it, it kind of talks about, uh, you could say, uh, Giorgiani's prediction of this spectral revolution where all of a sudden people are going to start developing psychic powers and what happens then. And what ends up happening is that uh, humanity starts to be ruled by these uh, very strict and cruel lords. For example, there's this one guy who has these psychic abilities who basically forced uh, all the people who are watching him to keep clapping for him. And he Ace. said that the 300 people who are the first to stop clapping die. And he could just wow. instantly kill them, you know, just Based. like have them be vaporized. Nice. So people were like clapping for like several days. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm, I can't wait to get powered like that. I'll be like, I'll be like yes. the inner two-year-old will come out of me. I'll be like a toddler. Exactly. But eventually they were, they got that whole thing. I don't want to do any spoilers here, but they got that whole thing under control and they set up these special schools for the um, uh, kids who have these psychic abilities. But anyway, definitely watch this anime. But the reason why I'm bringing that up is uh, yes. just if we use our imagination here, Uber Boyo, beyond that example, do you see any other things potentially happening if psychic powers were found out to be real, yeah. if, if they could be trained? Yeah, so so this is like it's a good question, and I think Giorgiani, a lot of his stuff like is quite interesting, and he he he's he's sort of positing like a whole new way of looking at things. Is like they'll be part of you know the whole Uber mention all this stuff. There'll be parts of this that we don't quite understand, and and I think maybe the thing I'd say that was most important again from Nietzsche's work is to understand the idea of a power struggle. So the classes always struggle between each other. The 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 warriors, the the kings, we should call them, and they they struggle against the peasants in some way. And the priests temper, the priests are like the left wing in their ideal version. They temper the, the, the kings to tame them. And so the kings um, try to exploit the peasants and use the peasants for taxes, and for example. And then the priests temper them. And then the priests and the peasants work together, but then maybe the, the warriors will, will temper the priests. And then the peasants maybe temper both of them. Like there's always these power struggles. There's peasant revolts, and then there might be religious revolts. You know, and then if the priests are pissing off the warriors, they might start to fund Protestantism or fund Catholicism in order to create discord among the, the church so they can get political power. And like, like there's always these power struggles. And whenever new innovations come up, like there's power struggles. It always sort of happens. And so I see 
like I think the thing that a lot of us struggle with is that in order to decide these things, great amounts of violence, death and challenge might actually surface. And this is not in any way willed. It's just that it's the sad way that the world works that like, you know, things have to be learned the hard ways. Often Nietzsche said all great things have to be thoroughly soaked in blood in order to, to mark their, their imprint on humanity's soul. And it's like one of those things, you know, if you could say Protestantism gave birth to individualism, there was a deep, deep, dark war in Germany, the 30 years war that essentially saw half the population annihilated um, over the course of of these type of things and this was the the sort of necessity to to free and um, the religious world into seeing things in a new way if you wish and and so if telepathy comes up maybe really fucked up things will start happening and there might be an ascendancy of like you know there's a lot of bitcoiners that got really rich a lot of crypto guys who got really rich and then there'll be the telepathics who become like this sort of ascendant kings and then i'm assuming a balance of power will start to kick in at some point it'll have to like or, or else they'll, they'll become like a, a dominant species that will annihilate all the rest of them and mm. form in a monopoly and then they'll start to fragment the, the aliens um, will come and that's why you have to but, be transhuman uh, giga chad soon but wouldn't the idea the, here be is that let's say if everybody had the ability to know exactly what they were thinking in a way there's something uh, freeing about that ironically it's like living in the satya yuga if the word satya which means truth if that is actually what was going on there if i can imagine the satya yuga it would be a place where all of us know exactly what we're thinking and we also know that we are a part of god so imagining that, I mean, it may get a little bit boring, but then again, maybe there are certain things at that higher spiritual well, level that we can't even well, uh, have a concept I, I of think, I think people are really good at that already. Like we are a capacity for empathy is phenomenal unbelievable it's just that most people just don't use it it's like the way that like most people can probably learn to fight and punch and probably hurt someone if they wanted to they're probably they can probably already like we already are really good at detecting how people feel and stuff like that it's really like we've got neurological centers that are good at this stuff maybe we could get more advanced at it and it could turn into like proper psychic stuff but i just think like a lot of this stuff is probably latent and untrained and is it a question of like maybe some people just got to self-select and they would like maybe it'll turn into a utopia or maybe some people will self-select and will be a portion of people who live in a culture that's very good at this and it becomes a sort of utopic place to, to live or a certain kind of ascendancy or something and then there'll be other people who won't and they'll sink down and become the last man i'm not too sure yeah. everything is possible but well, um, i don't ahead, i'd also on. love to hear max's thoughts on this stuff as well i know i'm kind of ranting away here so i don't steal a stream on him on the Nietzsche. No, it's okay, man. I'm glad when you show up. Uh, it, we haven't done this in like a year and a half. So as far as the, the nature of psychic abilities, if they're true, uh, I let's go with the hypothesis that the collective unconscious is a, a real thing. I believe that with our human evolution, if we were to evolve to have psychic abilities, it'd be something akin to like the Vortigaunts from Half-Life. I don't know if you guys ever played that. Where there's Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're able to... Uh, they share this neural connection with all different members of their species, like a hive mind. So they're always tapped into the collective unconscious, but they also have their identities as singular egos. Um, and it's sort of, just to talk about another thing that I'm famous for talking about on my channel, it's sort of akin to Dranvala Melchizedek's idea of 46 and 2, mm. which is a song by Tool, which is, that would be the next stage of human evolution, which is moving beyond just the singular consciousness that we possess as e uh, singular egos and being able to share the minds of everybody around us. And that's a terrifying, but somehow beautiful idea um, 
that I think you were just alluding to with the name of that anime that <laughs> I've already forgotten, where these abilities start popping up everywhere as we all collectively start to approach that next level of evolution and how we are able to deal with that. Uh, I don't even want to think about it because it actually it's just making me kind of quiver in my space boots just thinking about it. But uh, if the collective it's unconscious a, exists, it's possible. It's a Shin Sekai Yuri for those who did not hear it the first time. And uh, I think this was Forever Young who gave me the recommendation to see that anime based off certain other, uh, let's say, uh, controversial views I may possibly hold about the origin of life, which I'm not going to get know, into love, right that, now. That anime looks suspect, though. Geo, watch it. I okay, don't know. You, I mean, yes, this is no. why I'm distrustful of anime. The whole uh, can't distinguish their gen, their age. Uh, you know. Oh no. well. <laughs> speaking of uh, age or gender, I, I mean, speaking speaking of gender, there is definitely some uh, homosexuality going on in that anime. But uh, that's uh, well, they the, have a different approach to it. Yeah, like they have like Futanaris and Yahweh, and they like the Japanese. They don't have as much. Uh, cultural bombast as we do but one thing that josh said in the chat which is really interesting over boyo is that he said uh we're basically being like ruled by the merchant class now and i hope he didn't mean that like just in like the meme well i'm not getting into no, it. I, 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 yeah i think no, he but, did, uh, but anyway he's gonna get mad is he <laughs> i know um no but he, it's true in the sense that we're ruled by um this incessant sort of logic of capitalist realism in that the, the elites now are from the classes that traditionally were near the bottom in that we're just consuming shit, making shit, buying shit. And really the consciousness of most people is not the sort of aristocratic, you know, pe most people are going to get left behind. There's going to be a super elite. The picture of the super elite that p most people in the ruling class have now is like the bugocracy like living in the pod cities and consuming shit, consuming experiences now, because of course capital becomes virtual, right? And so the vision of the aristocrat of the past, as most people achieving a level of some kind of semi, you know, demigod status, that's gone now. Now the, the, the vision of the perfect consumer is like the matrix bug pod as a human well, battery. But but no, like I would definitely like I think the vision of becoming a demigod and mm. Nietzsche again Nietzsche I'm such a fucking dork like I'm like uh, always banging on about him but um I'm in love with a German incel but uh, he has this very interesting phrase from the, the his discussion of the Bronze Age and I'm not sure what to make of it but he describes that the Bronze Age was divided into sort of different histories depending on who was reciting mm. it so the people who would have been the helots will say would have experienced, I think I've talked about this before, would have experienced the Bronze Age of literally being tortured by a set of people who would essentially have appeared like Arnold Schwarzenegger from The Terminator, meaning like the guys who cladded themselves in bronze armor and showed up, I, I shit you not, showed up like robots. Like that's literally the archetype we're banging on about when you think about it. Like the robot lords who come down and oppress, the, the aliens who come down and oppress. And these characters, these Bronze Age men, they would have, they would have, they, think of how strange that would have been, the myths that that would have been like. These people would have 
seen like demons, monsters, out like tyrants, oppressors, horrible beings from hell, terminators, robots coming in, killing you and enslaving you and then becoming your elite and stuff like this. And then, of course, the consciousness and the experience of the myths from these bronze men themselves, the men wearing the armor, the likes of Achilles and all this, is that they would have had, as Nietzsche called it, a, a master morality. They would have had a very clear conscience and creative conscience that would have painted a sort of beautiful picture of their lives and this sort of natural pride and natural celebration of their own health and celebration of their own beauty and all these type of things and the disrespect and disgust they would have had for the people that they conquered and whatnot. And, and as Nietzsche said, a clear conscience about that, that is quite unique. And then um, I think that's such an interesting thing to observe because you see that stuff. It even offers some very strange questions about the nature of ancient religions. Like, for example, uh, Greek religion is has got a combination of uh, most Indo-European religions, but Greek religion is a good example. They've got something called the Titans. The Irish mm. have this too, and the Scandinavians have this too, they, the, the ice giants. But the, the Titans were the original set of gods, and they were conquered by the Olympians. And the original set of gods, like many of them, they're very colorful characters. And many people sort of hypothesized that they were actually representative of the, the original native people who lived in Greece before the Indo-Europeans came in and established Zeus and Apollo and their representatives. And the sort of conquest of the gods is representative of a conquest of people and a, a sort of a capitulation of a people to a new set of uh, rules, a new set of gods. And that's, that's actually how gods were understood in the past. When you lost to someone else, they imposed their gods upon yeah. you as a signal that your spirits beat their spirits and that was the this is why the romans saw christianity as atheist because it was like well, and the jews as atheists because like why don't you admit that we this is obvious we won like you're you're not being you're not playing the god game correctly and all this type of stuff and they innovated a new a new way of, of doing religion and the romans were like super pissed off about that and um, and the same sort of thing then asks us about what's happening now like look at our myths look at our stories there's a, an ascending vision of like iron man you know and and if you think about that that's the t transhumanist techno super god that's like if you think about jeff bezos and elon musk when these guys get enough <laughs> money and the technology gets good enough like is it possible for them to become the bronze men they become the iron men become immortal become like maybe they're aiming for that like will they do it very big question but maybe have they're you, aiming have for you that. seen a uh, jeff bezos inside of the mech warrior suit an iron uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and he's also got like, you know, he's flying to outer space and all this type of stuff. And, you know, it's annoying. Like, I don't like thinking, oh, Jeff Bezos looks like a bit of a dork when I think about it. I don't like the idea that he's going to be the next Achilles. But at the same time, can I really like kind of be resentful and get angry? Like, he, it is what it is. He, like the, 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 the merchants that everybody gets sort of, oh, the merchants took out the kings. It's... Yeah. In fairness, like they they just they were playing the game and they won and they ascended and mm. became the bourgeoisie, I think they called them or whatever yeah. it was. Well, and, the petite bourgeoisie. And, well, and then what you have is mm -hmm. Bezos coming up and he's sort of ascending to the cream of the crop. And will he pull it off? Maybe he'll, he's at the right place in the right time that he'll become the techno aristocrat. Maybe, maybe he won't, man. I don't really know. Um, but it's something to very, very, very much think about is that his level of power and the way he'll appear to us is sort of like the we're annoyed at the, him becoming transhumanist. And we're like the helots bitching about his supreme power and his victory. But ultimately, him and his sphere of life is probably operant as a clear conscience being like i'm using technology to transform my experience and, and take over space or something like this and i'm going to go and uh, be a become ascendant trans uh, like man transitioning into the higher levels or something well, like that. Maybe, he, he, maybe, here's here's why i would disagree with that statement well, specifically just, just, with just let me sure. let me let me finish go the for thought. it go like, for it maybe he'll pull it off but mm -hmm. maybe he won't 
like his instincts will tell him this is who you are and he could be right and he could pull it off and we'll be sitting there rage quitting on the thing we'll be, we'll be like the, the pink wojacks down here and he'll be off in like outer space like turning the moon into an amazon uh, uh, uh fulfillment center or something like that we're like no but then um, he could also be wrong and then the telepaths could come along as georgiani would say and absolutely dominate him and dominate all of us and then end up like ruling the world in their own way or then the aliens might come and do the same thing i don't really know and um, these things are all kind of up in the air and, and in some sense for questions but i think the slots are possible to get filled up someone in the chat said it's like wcw versus wwe yeah that is true vince mcmahon took over the old gods and destroyed them destroyed their legacy of wcw and imprinted his own uh, corporate version Mm. of what uh sports entertainment is and well, so, to, uh, you know, but to what uh, Uber Boya was just saying right now, if the psychic people come in, they'll kick Bezos ass. Maybe Bezos's problem, I think, is that uh, not a problem, but just who he is. He's a great businessman. He's a shrewd businessman when it comes to. Uh, and by the way, Gio, that's an example of somebody who is I'm not going to say anymore. Anyway, when it comes to Bezos being a shrewd businessman and good at that stuff, you still can't compare him to somebody like Nikola Tesla who you could say in a way he had so much power that at the end of his life he also got a little bit mad. I mean, look, nothing against having a love affair with a pigeon, you know, as long as you keep it strictly platonic. But uh, when, when, it comes to, uh, when it comes to the amount of power that uh, somebody like Tesla had, and you look at Tesla at the end of his life, and he looked like a shell of his former self. He looked like somebody who had sex with a super... A Bible black tear succubus that at the end of it was just uh, just like this frail sand you know sand mummy person at least that's like how John I David see- Ebert yeah like John David Ebert exactly so that's how yeah. I see Nikola Tesla and the question there is is a lot of this power too much for humans even biologically speaking well, to hold by the way that good- was a shitty move for Giorgiani to go kick man while he's down but anyways go ahead Sorry, go ahead. Well, it's a good question. It really is a good question. But I guess like power is not, you shouldn't fetishize power. You should always understand the application of power. Like if I give you the electricity and you just stick your hand on like the the, the cable and be like, <laughs> like that's not the way you're supposed to, no matter how much electricity you have, you should be careful with it. But if you properly use it, it can be the most powerful tool in the world and absolutely revolutionize your life. And the same with like, you know, um, energy or or whatever or violence or strength or whatever it is like it's the application that is where it comes from and um something like tesla he was very very ingenious and he's the sort of sacrifice that the the genius of humanity does in order to advance all the rest of us to open up power for us but the people who actually make that practical which is annoying to to kind of think about but the people who are sort of level-headed and shrewd and take stuff like what an innovator like tesla figures out and make Mm -hmm. it functional they're usually the guys who monopolize the actual power and they're yeah, usually the- westinghouse uh rockefeller uh specifically jp morgan as well in relation to tesla and it's annoying but it, it's the reality you know and you kind of have to think about it it's like you know you have a genius like young or a genius like uh tesla and we we'd love for them to become the philosopher king but i i just don't think it works that way you know i think what happens is then you usually get a shrewd dude who's not going to be much of an innovator he's more of a sort of in the middle he'd be like open but also organized and, you know, a bit more left brain, we'll put it this way, and which is fine. And he'll sit down and he'll systematize this stuff and put it into place and monopolize the power and get it sorted out and manage it and put it in place. And he'll then use what Tesla figured out in order to try his best to ascend to yeah. his Uberman status. Well, he might my, make it and he might not. That's even like my criticism of 
Uh, and I want to get Max's take, but that's like my criticism of Neo Reaction, for example, is that when you start like worshiping power just in its raw property, in its raw presence, then you end up like justifying like a lot of terrible, t- even Moldbug has like a lot of terrible takes. It's basically like, well, power, we should get it. So therefore it's like, you just turn yourself into a neoliberal at that point, because it's like, well, I guess they have all the power. So might as well, like, it's, I don't know. Anyways, cut. Yeah, it's a good point. Like, yeah. power's a really confusing thing. Like, this is Foucault coming out 101. Like, power's so confusing and so disparate and so strange. And, um, like, you know, how much power does the Bitcoin and crypto community have? How much power does the the the, the, the Anon Pepe posters on Twitter have? Like, they actually have significant mimetic influence. And, like, is that power? What does that mean? And um, how, 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 do, how do these things work? It's really hard. How much power does an, a pro athlete have uh, through influence on Instagram or something like that? Actually quite significant you know and then is like what's how do you organize all this how do you take all these disparate forms of power and use them and leverage them properly to get results and that's ultimately i think people should fetishize results more than they should fetishize phenomenon like power how much power do the super chat people have quite a lot and we have five us dollars from genres and generations and i would love to start this with max by the way geo we hear the typing i want to start this (laughs) no problem i want to start this with max will transhuman Will transhumanism lead to a technological and social golden age, or will it lead to massive upheaval resulting from inequality in biological function? Go. Um, I will. I I will have to admit, given the type of fiction that I have read in my life, that I'm a little bit more pessimist when it comes to this particular question. Because when human beings have had the ability to wield power that would make them a god among men they tend to not wield it in the most ideal of ways i think that though it will be necessary for stuff like that to happen it will be necessary for those tragic mistakes to happen in order for us to be able to reach something positive uh and universal that all human beings can adapt to and really become transhumanist uh because i don't think we're going to get it right the first time it's just not in our nature yeah, look at breast implants. Yeah. Yeah. You, never, you never get it right the first time. But the uh, uh, and Uber Boyo, any thoughts on that as well? Um, I'm actually afraid I'm going to have to bounce, uh, so I won't be able to wrap up any thoughts. But I want to just say thank you, Max. It was great thank to hear you. you again. And thank you, gentlemen, for thank your you, time. And as always. I'll talk to you later. Um, talk to you stuff. soon. Please follow Bye-bye. Uber Boyo on Twitter at Uber Boyo. And also, please subscribe to his live coaching. Get Uber Boyo to coach you. You will not be disappointed. <laughs> I guarantee it. I've never Do you want to become it, the Uber man? There's only one yes, way. There's only one exactly. man who read the books. There's only Uber, one man who knows the jargon. So, um, Uberboyo.com. No, I'll talk to you later, people. Bye-bye. Talk bye-bye. to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye, man. So, Good to see you. Good so to see you, sir. Take care. And by the way, everybody, subscribe, subscribe, and keep subscribing. Like Lennon said, uchitsa, 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 <laughs> which means learn, learn, and learn. Speaking but the, of the, a schizophrenic uh, uh, environment and... Uh, sort of uh, unconscious sexuality look what lisa bode said a while back in the chat my god speed run until you face geo level seven the sex slave use all mastered methods to pfizer his arms and clothe clothe him into eternal sleep take his hawaii shirt rake the prophets and bjs what the fuck oh Oh. man the all right, well, what I want to get into is uh, one of uh, the most fascinating videos that you've uh, done, Max, about the answer to uh, Job. Mm. So 
as far as the nature of God that you got from that, I wasn't exactly too clear. This is one of those videos that I have to watch multiple times to really get it, or I can have you explain it here, mm -hmm. uh, whichever whichever one works. But it does remind me a little bit of what is in certain, let's say, uh, mystical Jewish sects where they talk about the relationship of God and man is that man as that God needs man as much as man needs God, if yeah. that makes sense. So I was curious if you could uh, expand a bit on uh, how you see God from uh, answer to Job. Well, this, the whole uh, relationship between God and man and both needing each other, it, it rests on Jung's belief that God, uh, specifically the God of the Jewish tradition, Yahweh from the old Testament is an unconscious God. And the only way that God can really gain knowledge of himself or really assure himself that he exists is if he has somebody, uh, he has conscious beings to help validate his existence. It's the mm. whole subject object dichotomy. So you have one looking at the other and the other looking back in order to have, you know, that cycle of perception so that both can validate uh, each other's existence. Um, without that being there and then god would just continue to be an unconscious phenomenon uh unable to really validate whether or not he is there or not that's why at least in young's mind he created human beings so that he could have that relationship and continue to gain continuous knowledge of himself um and we see the apex of well, the beginning of that progression towards consciousness in the story of Job, because in Jung's mind, God acted rather reprehensibly during that whole exchange and the way that he treated Job, because Job, his entire life, he was a very, very moral being. He was the greatest of his servants, at least according to God. And for him to treat him in the way that he did, uh, it goes against at least human perception of the way that a moral and legal contract should work you know it's like hey if i'm going to live in accordance with the way that you want me to live then you have to um you have to fulfill certain uh requirements as a part of that bargain yeah i mean the criticism i have interest to job is quite like a gnostic heretical text yeah um and i think well as Wyatt said, Warren Hatcher says, God is beyond being, God does not need us. Yeah, that's true. I think that the fact that God has allowed creation in his image is not to necessarily validate, I mean, that was Young's view, but in the view of like either Orthodoxy or Catholicism, it's not so much to validate God the per as a person, but rather it is to give light to creation that allows a space for more so for us it's like this i mean simone weil had a similar view to young in that like god removes the essence to sort of make way for created beings or lesser beings you know what i mean like that's almost like similar to heidegger later on in that being clears itself being is a clearing it gives way to creation but that, but then again, that's very difficult because there's a very specific reason to why that in the Bible, why Job is persecuted as a test of faith. Whereas Young, I mean, concluded mm -hmm. that that like there has to be a part of evil in God in order to fulfill a full 
a full presence of the Lord, like which is well, what kind was of, the reason that uh, Job not... was? But what was the reason that Job was tested in the way that he was? And if God is God, wouldn't God know what exactly Job was going to do? I know this may be kind of a fedora take or whatever you want to say. Yeah, but... that is. I mean, of course, he probably knew what he was going to do, but it's it's yeah, more he did so it that anyway. even the most faithful can be challenged and and actually persecuted and rise and you know rise above those circumstances because there is that old saying that god will only give you what you can tolerate and so the most holy man can tolerate the most amount of persecution hmm. his wife is killed well what about all the little gone. what about all the little kids that uh, perish you know with uh, very painful diseases and all that you know like would you be able to say that they could tolerate that like but that's... see that's the problem oh that's good that you mentioned that lev it's good that you mentioned that that's the problem with Jung's interpretation. That's the problem with a lot of Gnostic interpretation, because when you start to quantify the property of evil as being a part of God itself as rather a privation or an absence, then you start to get into this like kind of like fedora. Like, because let's face it, most atheists, like the the Dawkins types, the the four horse the four horse uh, men of the you know they the new atheists, right? The problem is that they have a very Protestant, like literalist view where they like yeah. verge into like, well, evil, of course, is like a divine. Maybe it's a divine property, too. Whereas in the Augustinian Catholic tradition and in Orthodoxy with uh, John of Chisholm and so forth that talk about this, the the it's not that evil is a necessity, but evil as privation makes sense for <coughs> why a nine year old dies of leukemia. Because it's not the working of God, because to presuppose that evil also comes from God, that's kind of like, that just throws the whole schema of Christianity out, out of whack. Well, that's kind of like the idea of God's left hand and right hand, which was a, a again, very, very ancient very ancient idea, at least if we're talking about Old Testament times, of how they Yeah, but the New upon... Testament has perfected that view by saying that the left hand is not necessarily a property of the Lord. Because mm. that that would lead the gateway into a lot of very heretical ways of. Th I know, Lev, you don't believe it's heretical. Cause well, I want to. I want to get to. Uh, I want to <laughs> no, get to the guest sorry. of honor here. I want to get to Max. Uh, yeah. Max, you've um, you were a Christian before. The and four bugmen sure of the soypocalypse. And, the, and you've uh, and you've thought a lot about and you've thought a lot about uh, faith and what it means to you and evil and all that. Mm. So I'm curious what um, what you think of uh, what Gio was just talking about right now regarding it. Well, I, I, I'm just curious, uh, in regards to the, the nature of evil, do you believe, like, do you lean towards the belief of people like Augustine that evil yes. is merely, okay. Uh, well, I, I gotta say that in my experiences of evil and particularly, you know, young influenced my idea on this, that I do believe mm -hmm. that evil in itself does have an existence. And I believe that the most powerful argument that young made in favor of this, I believe was in chapter five of Ion, where he says that if you were to say that evil is the mere privation of good how would you apply that to something like the realities of concentration camps and saying that the actions that took place in there were just the mere privation of good i think the problem is the definition of privation like it's that which separates you from the lord from the divinity of god and so those actions would also be under that category of being a particularly harsh privation in that even like Hannah Arendt in Origins of Totalitarianism said that 
if the sort of disenchantment that came after the Protestant Revolution, if that wasn't in place, then we wouldn't get the death camps in, in Auschwitz. And that's someone who is herself Jewish, right? And, and what people would consider like a lib. So I think that when you look at it, it was necessarily privation of the good that led to something like the modern, like mechanized horror of the Holocaust and so forth, because you really couldn't have that level of evil if it wasn't for the um, hubristic omnipotence of instrumental reason in the hands of man in order to come about. But I get what you're saying. I mean, it is very tempting to think of evil as an active force. And there is certain passages in the Bible where evil certainly is animated in some ways. Mm. Well, Satan as the adversary was not necessarily considered to be an element of privation originally. It was Mm. more like somebody who was working with Yahweh together and molding what ended up becoming the, uh, you know, the uh, people of the Old Testament. And uh, it still makes me think, though, there was this, there was this uh, comment before on the chat that we had with uh, Jonathan Peugeot and Uber Boyo where he was talking about we don't live in the Milky Way galaxy or the universe. We live on Earth. We are the center of our story. It is a deeply modern concept that we can step outside of ourselves and analyze our own story. Mm. There are no other plan. So this is the part that I like. I could accept all that. But then he goes on to say there are no other planets or alien species. That is all a figment of our imaginations here on Earth. Okay, so number one, alien species. I lean on there being them, uh, but that's fine. There are no other planets. What? Okay, so this is where we're getting to this thing that I've encountered before. And Gio, I think you are also familiar with this in um, Christian Twitter or the uh, uh, Christian people who comment here on the chat. I know who you are. Anyway, uh, they talk about the whole space is fake thing, which... Yeah. Yeah, which again, it's very like, fine. If this is what we're accepting, then maybe you're right. I personally, even though I didn't take out my own telescope and look as deeply as I can into what is out there, I am leaning on the fact that no space is not fake, that there are other planets out there. They're not just for the sake of decoration. And when it comes to experiences that we have here on Earth, you could say the same thing about... Well, first of all, there are multiple religions out there, polytheistic ones, uh, poly, uh, I can't say it, whatever. Uh, Polytheistic. Thank you. Thank you, Gio. As well as Islam, as well as um, uh, Judaism, you know, and the non-revealed religions, if we're talking about, I mean, Hinduism is sort of a revealed religion, too, in its own way. But Depending on which Hinduism. Sure, Mm. sure. But there are basically other points of view here as far as what is the ultimate truth and how it's going to end on Earth. So already, if we're talking about the planet Earth, we have disagreement over here. We can have different uh, isolated pockets, islands out there where people worship an animist uh, type of religion. Well, the point that I'm getting to here, Geo, is that the people who are within those islands, let's say, I don't think they know exactly what is beyond what whatever they're used to same thing with let's say in sumeria where there were uh, leaders who referred to themselves as king of the world or king of the universe despite only having a certain section of it so this is why i really don't lean on this idea of the only thing that we actually have is this planet and there's nothing else to discover i think it's a very reductive way of looking at uh, the potential uh, for what we have to experience but max i'm curious uh, your po- your point of view when it comes to space planets when it comes to is this all just an earthly experience and space is out there to test us (laughs) uh i would say that 
space, if it's infinity, there has to be some form of extraterrestrial life beyond what is here. And I think that it will be like after we've exhausted all potential experiences for human beings on this planet, it's worthwhile trying to examine other galaxies to figure out whether or not it's possible to find ways of living life beyond our current terrestrial existence. I think it's worth it. Mm. I think it's worth trying to figure it out. The only thing then that happens, at least for me, is that if we're talking about uh, Christianity, let's say, and Jesus Christ, regardless of, uh, let's say, I accept everything that happened as far as the miracles, as far as the trials and tribulations, all that, we still have this idea that I brought up before with Peugeot. He uh, did not really, uh, wasn't really keen on talking about it that much other than dismissing what I had to say. Oh, you're just upset that he just smacked you down. Well, for, so for, well, well for, first of all, Gio, this is uh, you going at the host here again, undermining me. But be that as it may, that is absolutely fine. You have every right to undermine me when it comes to this because I believe in free speech. <laughs> anyway, what I'm getting to what I'm getting to here is that if we are talking about Christianity, Jesus Christ existing on this planet, doing what he did, then was that a matter of instituting an end of uh I'm not going to say an end of time necessarily, but an end of uh, the existence that people have had here, you know, at the time of Revelation, where on this planet, everybody would undergo this great transformation, which again, Gio, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but uh, nor do I want to put words in the New Testament's mouth, but that is what the New Testament says, that there's going to be a great transformation that's going to be in this entire planet. That's correct, right? Yes. Okay, so if we have that, and then we also have the idea that there are other planets out there, we were mm -hmm. talking before about this solo, but I'm curious what Max thinks, then what does that make the transformation of this particular planet seem in comparison when there would be other planets with also intelligent life and people having similar dramas go on? And like, would there be separate revelations that they would have to undergo? But that means that it's not that means that's got to be like Jesus's brother or something. That's going to be like other people who are going to be the avatars oh. of the almighty that are going to be instituting that. But then we can't really say that it's just the one Jesus Christ and that's it. Can we? I don't know. There's two ways I envision this. Let's go with the uh, like the original assumption that there is a collective unconscious and that all of existence corresponds to. Uh, archetypes and that there are people on these other planets that have myths that differ in detail but are the same in pattern then I assume if that's the case then maybe it's best to just worry about what's going on on the planet right now um, but then there's also the possibility that upon trying to transcend our current terrestrial existence and reach higher forms of consciousness that those archetypes might take on new forms and then the myths will change and that we have to go upon completely different journeys that are incomprehensible to our current state of consciousness. Those are the two ways that I imagine it would take place. I can't really envisage any other way it would, it would happen. Um, but yeah, just generally speaking, uh, regardless of whether or not any of these theories are correct, like whether or not Christianity is the right way or whether Jung's way is the right way. We just have to focus on where we are right now 
improving our current states of being and our lot in life here on this planet. And then once that has taken place, then we can begin to look to the stars and find other ways of uh, transcending our current condition. That's well said. It's like that quote from A Clockwork Orange, man on the moon and men spinning around the earth, and there's not no attention paid to earthly law and order no more, if you remember <laughs> uh, that particular one. I, I agree there, but the reason why I even bring this up is not that I just want to get on a rocket ship right now and go to Mars like Elon Musk. It's just because I think we're at a point right now when there's so much information on the internet that there's people out there who want to cloister in particular bubbles and only get the information like we talked about before with the Metal Gear Solid stuff, only get the information that they want to hear. Yeah. And that can potentially create in the future miniature or maybe major tyrannies where there would be maybe a lot of people within the much bigger bubble that uh, whose dogma cannot be questioned. So what I basically want to try to do here is, and it doesn't mean that this is going to happen in a day, but I want to figure out, well, the truth. I want to figure out as much as I humanly can, being a human being, I think, uh, figure out what exactly can we gain from all the different schools of thought, from all the different religions that make sense, while, again, from a human perspective, while at the same time, making sure that we don't go into this very stringent dogma that prevents thinking outside the box because well, i th see that as damaging well as yeah. hatcher said it's it's not that in apostolic christianity that aliens can't exist i mean revelation can come for them too mm -hmm. it's that it's it's more so like when you're dealing with the claims of like creation like for example people are warring in the chat about uh so cyber ninja zero asks um if job like if god knew that job was going to choose the right path does that mean that free will is violated i would say no in that the sense that a god is outside of being that we know at least and so the parameters of the lord doesn't operate in the same way that in terms of our own the material reality of our own free will as humans it's mm -hmm. more of that it's not that there's predestination per se is that the knowledge of God supersedes anything that we know as humans. Therefore, there it's not being bound by that logic of, well, if you know something beforehand, that doesn't mean you have free will. That's another problem is that we're ascribing our human category of, does knowledge of the fact beforehand violate the free will and expression or the instantiation of that act in the present? Not necessarily. Just because you have knowledge of someone fulfilling an act doesn't mean that God writes that, you know, Job is going to act in a certain way, like the way that, you know, the Calvinists believe. That's sort of, that would undermine our project of us being creative beings that are possessing a free will in order to act our role as being one with the image of God. So that does, so the whole like Calvinist logic doesn't make sense to me. I mean, just the fact that God knows that Job is going to go down the right path doesn't mean that Job does not freely choose. It's not that people are the robots of God and God is some like AI program or some like Silicon Valley nerd that takes, uh, what's that one drug they take in Silicon Valley nowadays, Lev? Uh, well, they take ayahuasca and the ayahuasca. Well, they microdose, but what's microdosing that? Microdosing LSD. Uh, that let's productivity drug, what's it called? Uh, Mountain Dew. Wait, qualia? 
No, God. They take well, you... this nootropic nowadays. I forget what I it's... think you're talking about qualia. I don't know. No, it's basically like an amphetamine. Mm, interesting. Yeah, Wait, I is... forget. The Silicon Valley... Yeah, but they... Let's say it's not like some Silicon Valley nerd microdosing LSD... Modafinil, yeah, that's oh, what it modafinil. is. Oh, that's it. Modafinil. What, what the, yeah. Is that a nootropic? What is that? Yeah, it's a nootropic. Yeah. Does that actually work, or is it bullshit? I've never had it. I see. I'm skeptical of nootropics. What if like it gives you brain cancer in ten years? <laughs> I don't know. You know, I don't know. Andre- <laughs> adrenochrome. That's what they take. Yes, exactly. The adrenochrome. Good stuff. Uh, good stuff. But uh. No, I see. I see what you mean, Geo. I still can't square away from myself the idea that what then there would be like multiple, oh God, multiple, multiple Jesuses that would go to different planets, but it would still be the same Jesus. Like that's, I don't know. It rub, it rubs me really strange to think that it would still be Jesus. I could see it being an avatar of the same life force that is God coming down, but then like. What what was what was said in the very beginning of the stream that there's Jesus and there's Buddha and I know that you would differentiate between the two as far as what they exactly taught but there is still this idea of somebody like Jesus going into the de- into the desert for a long time and meditating and somebody like Buddha doing a similar thing where it almost seems like if you do engage in certain spiritual practices over time you end up coming to pretty similar states of consciousness so in that way like why couldn't we say that if the earth was destroyed multiple times around there wouldn't have been a jesus during the well, even an- anti-antediluvian time or whatever you know like why do we have to limit it to specifically being now and here because let's face it geo one of the things that people do talk about and this is again that question that i asked earlier is it's going to be the end of reality itself as we know it it's going to be the end of just like this whole existence not just on planet earth right i never saw it anywhere being just on planet earth it's going to be everywhere but that's why i have the problem when i look up and see all these different planets and the idea of how many of them there are and how far it goes well like even in buddhism there is in in the flower garland sutra there is um the the very mystical language of like the 10,000 Buddha lands and how Buddha, the nature, Buddha nature, like is instantiated throughout all of the Buddha lands in, in every sort of like cell of reality. Yeah. I agree with that. No, we're on the same page there. I agree with that. My only difference is that I'm not going to say that what happens here with revelation on earth, that's the be all end all of all existence. What I'm saying is that maybe something's going to happen, but other places will have similar things happening, which means to me, I wouldn't put, personally full faith in any specific text that was passed down through uh, other uh, people you know what i mean like that that's my difference between me and you i don't know but max i'm curious where do you place the bible and all of these uh, all these particular dogmas that people have associated with the truth like uh, being somebody who was christian before where do you place it uh, currently right now in your life I would say the same thing that uh, Uber Boyo said when he was just here. He, I would say that they're a lot like the archetypes in that they are human human beings trying to use human language to describe the nature of the divine. And we go, we take all these different dogmas, all these different religions, try to suss out the patterns that are common across all of them, and then try to create a new dogma from them. And I've think uh geo you said earlier on that 
you believe kind of the same way that Edward Edinger believed, the famous Jungian scholar, that in the coming generations, it's going to be sort of a more Jungian era where we are attempting to do that, where we are attempting mm. to find a new dogma that is closer approximation of um, the metaphysical reality where we're trying to instantiate the soul of religion, but also trying to work in conjunction with human categories like reason, yeah, rationality. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think that that's where it is. And I think that in regards to the religious texts that we have now, like the Bible, like the Upanishads, like whatever, uh, there are truths latent in those texts, but they need to take on a new skin, sort of like, you know, the, the snake that sheds their own skin to make way for the new. Uh, that's the way I see it. I, yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense. I think, I think that, um, we're going, I mean, even like the, the use of reason is going to have, I think, hopefully, um, a huge aporium in the future, although that won't happen because people, I mean, let's face it, we're in a moment in history where we're in the winter, we're in the, uh, dark winter. Yeah. Where people like, I mean, even the Kali Yuga, like there is the weightedness of matter, like people, view things through a material lens because we can't really see i'm just thinking maybe uh, max you should do um video games in relation to spangler that'd be interesting in relation although to you would get like a totally different audience to tell the truth but <laughs> totally. what, what what's what is that what are you what is it called if you know uh spangler's decline and fall of the west oh yes yes you you could do like i wonder what video game would fit into that category I wonder, maybe like, uh, you, you could, I, I guarantee you someone like you could come up with some like wild, interesting content about video games and, uh, hmm. decline and fall the way. I wonder, like, I, I, I wouldn't yeah. want there to be a game that would be made with the mindset of making a base and trad pilled game. Cause it's going to be another version of, uh, Poso, that comic I showed you. Maybe Wasn't not kind the of conservative based version. Games? Like, I don't know. No, but I don't think they come about through somebody sitting down and thinking, I'm going to make a base and red yeah, the, game. You know, like, I think this yeah. is go, goes back to what we talked about earlier. I think that actual, like, substantial creativity, It go, it's like uh, Kurosawa said, like, if I wanted to make the, a statement, I would have written it down instead of making a movie. So I that, think... That like, was the way I said with yeah. Ward McIntyre um, a few weeks ago. Is that the problem is that you can't have like the problem with like people on the right thinking that like oh i'm just gonna make a based in red pilled wolfenstein but no actually wolfenstein isn't a condemnation it's actually like an affirmation of like you know or just like a starship troopers yeah well uh, that's different because <laughs> i i truly believe highland was like the last great sci-fi writer because sci-fi writing is such trash nowadays um I said that the problem with like people on the right is that they think that they basically think the same as Walter Benjamin. They think that the politicization of art is going to lead the way into the future. And that that's not true. Like that's just going to murder the ritualism and the cultural context of the way art arises more than anything. So you could create like, you know, well, castle wolfenstein but it's good you know it's like <laughs> not this cringy bullshit yeah. where like the nazi rednecks take over like the fucking aryan brotherhood takes over america or something like mm. that it's well i think that the japanese stupid. i think that the japanese in general i could be wrong but i think that they are less political 
Like they don't really focus yeah, that don't much on politics. Same. And that's why I think we are able to have, even from somebody whose games, like you would agree with me, Max, that uh, Hideo Kojima does have a lot of political intrigue within the games. Mm. But I don't think it comes from a place of choosing a side and vouching for that particular side against what the other side. What games did Kojima do again? I, I'm not... So Metal Gear Solid. Uh, he oh, did, he, yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Created... yeah and he did uh, recently uh, that, um, that that's game. Stranding. Where, yeah, Death Stranding, thank you. I heard the that was a good game. Death yeah, it, pr it predicted uh, what we're in right now, in a way. But uh, getting back <laughs> getting back to what I'm talking about... Oh, and by the way, for all the people out there who are new to this, who are saying that, Lev, you're a materialist, keep in mind that I am the kind of person who actually thinks that all of this is imagination, that we are in God's imagination, and that there's a lot more credence to the idea of existing within the realms of thought, which eventually solidify into matter. So if that still means that I'm a materialist, according to your standards there is nothing that i can do but i just well, I think they to mean because you're thinking in terms of like the material like species on different planets have to like well no first no first of all those species i would say they don't even have to be on physical planets they can be on mental planets they could be on planets let's say if there are like listen planets don't on marry different, different species okay do not <laughs> <laughs> think think of all the furry art that we'll get when we find okay never mind um anyway what oh, i want to oh yes well actually i, I wanted to curious, talk about Max. apocalypse now let's change gear hold on oh, hold on geo before we get to apocalypse now the the second to last thing that i wanted to ask max is the uh, furries because i noticed you did a bit of a groan here i don't know i don't know if you know this or not <laughs> i don't know if you by the way everybody subscribe patreon.com slash break the rules i don't know if you know this or not max but we had a furry stream way 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 back ancient history now but this was like last year where we had this guy who was incredibly sensitive i had to be like i had to wear kid gloves to talk with this guy and the moment that there was somebody on stream who said you know without any anger he just said like he happens to be anti-fur like the moment that he said that that was enough that was it the guy went off the stream he started going on this giant tirade against break the rules how on he Twitter. wanted to yes how he wanted to grift off his audience and all <laughs> yeah like we want them <laughs> Yes. So, so anyway, I'm just curious, like Max, in your experience, I would say that all the people who are watching this, who are coming in from Max's uh, audience, I really appreciate the heaven out of you because I just noticed, Max, your energy, just your yellow glow, whatever, whatever you want to say here. It is something that I think is crucially lacking in a lot of Internet communities. And I definitely think uh, from... Um, from what I got from you here today on the stream, that you have an amazing audience. And uh, I am curious, though, if you have encountered uh, furries and what your experience has been with them. Maybe you got the best furries. Maybe you got furries that were... Might as well just ask him who Chris Chan is, might as well at this point. No, that's already old news. No, Man, but... everybody was just is so desperate to know my opinion on Chris Chan. It's just because oh. <laughs> of the whole autism thing. Look. I just no comment. Okay, look, please. Yeah. Let's just find better representatives for people that have autism. Thank you very much. Um, we we had shameless multiple hour streams on the symbology of Chris Chan. Uh, sorry, go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I would just say in regards to furries, I'm sure that I have tons of, I'm sure there are people in my audience that are, uh, as far as personal interactions with them, I only ever knew one. Uh, I knew him, I think we stopped talking like not for any particular reason it's just natural happenstance uh about five years ago and 
aside from the fact that he was a furry, just seemed like a normal guy. That's all. Just talked to him. But mm. yeah, I'm not particularly well, involved or know much about that, uh, aside from the things that everybody talks about in regards to furries. I mean, God bless everyone. I don't really care in particular when it comes to those kind of things. My only issue is, again, it seems like people group themselves into these smaller bubbles and there seems to be a lack of curiosity when you finally group yourself into this bubble. Like, you're only pretty much interested in just whatever is happening within it. And when it comes to furries or people who are, you know, like uh, a lot of uh, brightly colored uh, animation... My concern there is that much like, let's say we have, okay, for example, let's say we have the Iranian flag, which, uh, I don't know, this was Giorgiani's take, I don't know if it's right, but it would talked about, like, the three colors is, like, supposed to represent, like, the farmers, the warriors, and the aristocracy. Like, there's a mythology behind even simple color coding, but today, when you would have, let's say, and again, like, uh, much love to anybody, I don't really care as far as sexual preference and all of that, you know, uh, God bless you, that's all great, but when we have, like, the symbols right now, there was a recent pride flag that I'm sure you've seen that came out. It has like those uh, triangles on it now. And it's just like, <laughs> it's just like there's these colors that represent uh. one's identity that in a way, like if people enjoy it, that's nice. My only concern is that there doesn't seem to be that much of a stretch of mythology unless you were to go like unless you were to go all the way into talking about you know the unification of the gender into like the whole you know but that's again like a very esoteric like a, idea like a Bria Dotti uh Donna Haraway post-gender cyborg feminist type yeah like yeah. unless unless you're going that direction then my only concern especially for a lot of zoomers especially for a lot of young people is that they're stuck in a very narrow place where there doesn't seem to be much curiosity above the hashtags and the genders and all that. Like, yeah. there doesn't seem to be as much of a thirst for knowledge beyond it. Yeah, well, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not sure, like, if there's well, something that very, could be... We're yeah. seeing very ancient... Uh... Sorry, go ahead, Lev. No, no, I, I agree with you. We are These things are ancient to a certain extent like there's you know maybe tri tribal things you could say some or like, animism there i guess yeah but it's like i'm not just saying it for the sake of oh now we're gonna sulk about it what i would want to do this is just more of a declarative statement here is that i would want to through the process of doing the show btr because i want to go on tiktok as well i want to figure out a way to break people free from the bubbles that they are in not in a disrespectful way, not in a way like own the libs, you know, and all that stuff, because all that stuff, it just makes the bubble that much more impenetrable. Yeah. It makes people that much more on the but defensive. I think like the problem, I think what you're getting at, Levin, I want to hear Max's opinion on this, is that, well, the furry stream wasn't a total disaster. We did have a good conversation with like one of the oldest furries, uh, what's his <laughs> oldest name, Joe? furries on earth. <laughs> Joe Strike. Joe Strike Shout wrote the literal book about the Furry Nation. Shout out to Joe Strike. I'm going to put we an had, image of him in the lizard suit now. We had a good conversation. And he he wasn't like in the first Furry Con. He was like at the second Furry Con. Back in like the... Because furries are much older than people think. It's a total mindfuck. I remember yeah. one time me and my friends, uh, we were watching like back when cringe videos were a thing. And there was like this video, this camcorder video from the 1990s 
where it was like this furry like with a tail like wigging out in a convenience store and this like black uh shop owner's like look at that dude look he's look at his tail he's wiggling his tail now um and this was like in 1999 but apparently furries have been around from the 70s onwards so uh no but we were talking about like how the furries and like the problems of people like you know and i everyone does this it's like they're cringe you know they're involved with a lot of like far left politics blah 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 uh I think the problem is that we don't take the time to understand why we're seeing such a stark quest to release ourselves from the human, whether it's very academic theory, cell post-humanist theories, like, uh, again, I mentioned like Briadotti and um, Donna Haraway, or if it's just simply like being a, a having a fursona and being a, what, what's the real hardcore animist thing that they call themselves? Other kin. Um, other, other kin yeah like that to me i think we have to question why our particular epoch our particular epistemy values the escape or the flight from the human into something extra or something superhuman i and i think like that n- enough attention isn't paid to that as opposed to saying like these people are freaks i mean they're freaks obviously but like that i mean yeah I Love mean, we all, we all have a oh. freakish, we all have freakish tendencies, I think, in our own little ways. So I'm not going to pick on the uh, furries here in uh, particular. I mean, I just feel like a lot of the people who are going into a lot of these alternative things today, back in the day, you know, they would have, um, I don't know, maybe they would have been like uh, the eccentric person in their village. But then again, part of me thinks, no, I think that they may have just been like an average person tilling the soil, working on the land, whose mind was not, I don't know if infected is the right word here, you know, because again, like, I like, I think Rouge the Bat is sexy. There, I said it. Is that, yeah. Was, was so, furry stuff big in Weimar? They actually did have animist, uh, like, parties in Weimar, Germany, where they dress oh up boy. in wolf skins and fu- have origins I know, actually, stuff, actually, so. Ma- Max, are you a Sonic fan? Oh, uh actually i no i i only ever played sonic adventure dx um and that was like when i was 10 okay that doesn't have rouge the metal gear solid is to you sonic is to lev so (laughs) ah okay yeah no i did a whole here i'm gonna link it right (laughs) now don't don't yes no 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 this is important geo what do you think i'm gonna do because i think you may be confused what do you think i'm this is the next max video right here that that yes Okay, so here we go. So I did a whole thread on Twitter about the Zoroastrian connections with uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. So I noticed that the uh, image over here (laughs) of Sonic the Hedgehog, you see over here, it has like him pointing the finger up and the wings over here and that little banner. Uh So if you look at the um, symbol over here of Ahura Mazda, what do you notice? You notice that you should have uh, put the red circle around it. Pointing, to, uh, uh, fine, whatever. It's pointing. <laughs> it's pointing up. It's got the wings. It's got the ring. It's. It's even has like those two tails. You know, it has like a uh, similar to what's going on with that little thing on on Sonic. And here you can see. Did from the Zerastians worship speed? 
from the Sonic. Well, hedgehogs <laughs> are considered to be a sacred animal for the uh, for the Zoroastrians as well. So you know, that is, yeah. You know what, Lev? I, I'm not going to poo-poo on that idea because there is, based on the little bit that I do know about Sonic the Hedgehog, there is a lot of religious symbolism that is going on behind the scenes. For example, in the aforementioned Sonic Adventure DX, there's a character known as Chaos, uh, from mm. what I understand, and he takes on a whole bunch of different forms, sort of like the primordial chaos of... Um, like uh like alchemical tradition you know it's like all these different forms that it can take yeah. it within like this infinite darkness and that's sort of what chaos represents he can be like this huge monster he can be like this humanoid and switch between all this sort of different stuff so there might be something there and also the chaos emeralds are like the uh because there are seven seven of them since mm -hmm. sonic 2 so the chaos emeralds are like the uh seven chakras yep and yep. uh Sonic eventually reaches enlightenment, he becomes supersonic, much like when you go through the process of activating your kundalini, uh, a similar thing is, ends up happening. Another thing I noticed over here, this is part of the um, Sonic 1 game. There was this uh, bonus level when you get 50 rings. It oh. was set up in this way. Oh my god. You notice? Holy Give me fuck. A break. <laughs> 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 oh my god that just hit me like like a ton of bricks no Holy i'm telling fuck. you this, this stuff is this stuff is all over oh. the place and every even... every art hoe has to have that poster and the poster of starry night in her dorm room by the way when she goes there at yes school. and over that's... here no, notice that the uh, grid pattern that Sonic <laughs> has over here uh it's very similar and also if you pay attention to the uh gold posts over here so any t uh, so you see like the Freemason goalposts over here, like those two uh, poles with the spheres. Uh, That's just like the goalposts. I don't know why I don't have the image of it. Wasn't the room in two thousand one had the same Freemasonic grid pattern? Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Oh, shit. Well, it's like the uh, the checkpoints. I don't know why I don't have that image here, but if I search Sonic checkpoint everybody subscribe by the way during this gap of time to break the rules i know you're watching it i know you are loving the heaven out of what we are doing here so please subscribe anyway over you here, really look. can't understand sonic unless you read paul virilio speed and politics that's my hot take i will not explain maybe i mean see over here this is the goalpost Lev, you should read speed Isn't and politics this... to truly understand i sonic. i definitely i definitely shall sonic i definitely you. shall so you see um, over here the, the goalposts and the freemason yeah, sign yeah same thing see this is what this is what i'm talking <laughs> this is what i'm talking about everybody this is how it all the, be the best relates. part max is we had um we had a sonic stream where we had the singer that did the uh soundtrack to sonic red and Lev like subject like no totally Sonic R Sonic, Sonic R. R sorry <laughs> totally like subjected her to like this thread <laughs> and and she was like in shock the whole time and it was just like such a <laughs> and the best comment I think came from uh oh I think it was Super Iron Bob like you basically like brought this poor woman on to subject her to this autism <laughs> like, <laughs> what the fuck is that Lev no is that Indra's palace. No, no, it's the uh, rainbow body from a uh, Buddhism. Oh. 
So when Sonic the Hedgehog gets the uh, super emeralds, which they had to do because for the uh, uh, for the uh, uh, Sega Genesis, it wasn't enough space, so they had to make a separate game called Sonic and Knuckles after Sonic 3, but they used the lock-on technology to turn it into one game. But anyway, you get the super emeralds after you get the uh, chaos emeralds, and you turn Sonic not into Super Sonic now, but into Hypersonic, who's all like rainbow-colored, like the colors just mixed around. So I compare that to the rainbow body that is found in um, in Buddhism. Yeah, okay. so there we go. I mean, this is like an endless an endless that, hole. That's almost of... like... Uh... Oh God! Yeah. I, now I understand. Like uh, there was this one article by Sam Crest before he got canceled and left Twitter. And as much as he's like a chapo leftoid, I think he's probably a great writer. He wrote this thing about Heidegger and GTA. Like for example, how the engine of Grand Theft Auto, they discovered that if you have um, a delayed load sequence where you could like still use the same disk space, but like the game will load based on like a referent, which is usually like the character or a car, like the game will load in sequence to where you're going, like instead of the full game being present all the time. Mm -hmm. He said that like Heidegger's theory of the clearing or Alethia is similar in that being will clear the way towards like truth or like being itself is a clearing of sorts. It was like this really weird theory cell way of, you should read that, but I should link that article. It was like would, Heidegger and GTA. Uh, I would but definitely no. <laughs> love to take a look. Oh, wait, one final thing, by the way, related to Zoroastrianism as well as Dr. Robotnik. So you see over here, I'm going to spotlight. So in Zoroastrianism, the universe will go through three eras. Creation, the present world where the creation is under attack, and the final state when Septiminu will dominate and Ahura Mazda prevail. All the universe will revert to its pure state. The souls trapped in darkness will be released. So if you know anything about Sonic the Hedgehog, you have these poor little animals, these little defenseless animals that get stuck inside of the robots. And in a way, I see that as being an analogy to what may be happening with a lot of people who have not developed their consciousness enough in the years to come. Because they are going to be stuck inside of this, like we talked about with Uruboyo, in this roboticized mindset. And they are not going to be able to escape that. And so I think what people can do who get to a higher level of consciousness is help people escape that roboticization as much as possible. And mm. even Dr. Robotnik, he is called Eggman for a reason. Eggman, Ego Man, he is trapped within his own ego. And that is why he keeps doing what he's doing in a way to try to control reality and constrain it to his will of this transhumanist roboticization but that's all i wanted to say about sonic uh that that that's the end for me charlie <laughs> what's you guys there to are say my fucking mind that that is actually quite fascinating i need you to do like a guest spot on my channel where you talk about sonic because i do have a lot of people you know just <laughs> Shit. <laughs> like just asking me to cover it saying like there's all this stuff i didn't realize there was this much stuff to this I, extent. I, would, I would dude i would love to and i would also love to talk about nights and the dreams we don't have time now but later on like nights and the dreams was made by sonic team the same people who made sonic and they read tons of carl jung 
uh, before making this game. Well, of course it's they did. A, <laughs> yes, it's a very Jungian game. And in fact, the avatar of Wiseman is what I have in our Discord. Speaking of which, all the people who are enjoying this right now and thinking, hmm, how can I have more of an interaction with these fine people from Break the Rules? Not only am I going to subscribe, but I am so thirsty to talk with Lev about art because I'm going to be doing some live drawing there on Discord. Here's the Discord link right here. You seem right like you're going to groom them on Discord. Go though. there. I am going to groom <laughs> all the people who come in into the very best people they could possibly be. That is the good kind of grooming that Lev is going to provide free of charge for anybody who becomes a patron of Break the Rules for the people who go on Discord. And by the way, when you become a patron of Break the Rules, you are going to get the super secret places on Discord where the grooming actually happens. So become oh, a $5 patron, patreon.com slash break the rules. $20 patrons is going to give you a beautiful magnet. Look at this. Look at this. Max, are you a fan of moths? Uh, oh, yeah, sure. Great, because this moth over here, my father created this. This is a beautiful moth. Uh, uh, thank you for Brittany Venti, because she was the reason why this moth was created in the first place. Any Brittany Venti fans out there that want to get your hands on this beautiful moth? Oh, by the way, see the spreading of the wings? That's another symbol of enlightenment. But anyway, we're not going to get into that right now. <laughs> anyway, when you become a $20 patron you are going to get a wooden magnet but it's going to be either a random magnet or if you want the moth ask for the moth if you want definitely legit ask for definitely legit for those who know you know anyway when you become a 30 dollar patron you're going to get an exquisite beautiful print from giovanni panicietti here you could see the print no that's not it hold on uh da, da, da. patreon print here we go you are going to see a beautiful you are going to get not see you're, you're going to see it too but you're going to get a beautiful print from the great giovanni panicietti watch him go from the tfw no gf series when you become a 50 dollar patron you are going to get all of the above ladies and gentlemen but that is not all you are going to get a commissioned <laughs> what the fuck is that? i never got to... that out of my mind the whole oh, time no. the chaos estrogens oh no <laughs> you're you are going to get a commissioned uh, a, com a commissioned wooden magnet of your choice. My father is going to make it for you within reason. Please be reasonable, ladies and gentlemen, but you are going to get that. You are going to get a beautiful Warhammer 40K figure uh, painted by Jules P. Hamilton. You are going to get another painting from Gio Penichetti from the Bob Ross School. And you are also going to get, upon request, any of the um any of the thumbnails that my father creates you'll get a print of that but you got to request that we're not going to do that up front anyway you are going to get all that plus uh episodes that we happen to do sometimes that's for patrons only mp3s of the patreon episodes uh, uh sorry mp3s of all the episodes that come out i know i'm kind of late on this one i'm going to do it after i eat today yeah Look five dollar level will get you all that to access to special episodes yeah. which we have to make more of love maybe which just you and me we're, we're, we're definitely going to do that. And look, I wish I could give you guys this chocolate because it's really good. But unfortunately, that's the one thing that I cannot give you. But what I can give you is my uh, is my thanks for watching this, for being a part of this. Let us go to the final questions as I post the I link to the Patreon. You will get that final question, but also 
we are on Odyssey. We are on DLive. We are on um, uh, Twitch. We are live streaming. <laughs> I don't know how we're still. On yes, Twitch. we're still on Twitch. Twitch. Oh, uh, Twitch.com/slash Break the Rules oh. of the Three. This is our Twitch account right over here, and we are on DLive as well. We are streaming on all these platforms, and you guys just keep ignoring it. Don't ignore DLive. Don't ig ignore Odyssey. Odyssey is great, and I'm thankful to be on Odyssey. In fact, it is odyssey.com slash break the rules uh, oh. and like two two things and an F. So this is the link to Odyssey. We are on Spotify. We are on Apple. We are everywhere because we got to be everywhere. That is how we fight against the algorithm. That is how we win at the end of the day. BTR is going to be unstoppable thanks to amazing people uh, that we have on the show like Max, like Geo. Like Uber Boyo, like all, like Hotep Jesus, like uh, all the amazing people that we've had on the show, like Stix Hexenhammer six six six, who is coming back next week on the seventh for the back to school special with Paul Rossi, who was the teacher that got uh, kicked out of uh, Grace uh, School for opposing uh, CRT. Anyway, we are going to get to your question, Geo, right now. Also. Just the link. I'm paste. I'm pasting the Patreon link in there for all the people who want to become a patron. We just Gio. We just got a fifty dollar patron oh, Saturday. Isn't nice. that amazing? So there we go. Great, I'm have become to pay a for patron again. <laughs> become a patron. Become a patron. Um, become a patron. Anyway, Gio, your question. Go. Oh, also go to my YouTube channel, Jenner. Hell Productions. yeah, heavens yeah. I, I mean. just released yesterday a video where I critique um this artsy article the top zoomer artists it's not as vicious as people would think i'm pretty fair and the second part will be uh coming out tomorrow where i critique uh these art statements by these mfa graduates um so yeah that's my YouTube channel. but i wanted to ask i wanted to ask about um originally i wanted to talk about apocalypse now but my brain is like totally fried right now <laughs> and uh max is going to come again hopefully uh, when's when are you scheduling that, Lev? Maybe October? Well, oh, yes, October 9th. Max, I would definitely love for you to come back. I think we've only uh, scratched the surface, yeah. and I am incredibly yeah. thankful for you coming in. But I wanted to ask you, this is a very popular topic. There's a number of videos that have gotten millions of views. What is your opinion on the exact date or episode or event that happened that totally destroyed The Simpsons, that transitioned from the classics people you know first nine seasons to this like zombie simpsons monstrosity we have today some people say it's the frank grimes episode other people say it's the skinner episode the armin tenzerian one i don't know like i have a few theories but from your opinion we're both lifelong simpsons fans mm. what is your opinion on the decline and fall of the simpsons empire um well I, i'll just tell you one i the season that I stopped watching it, I, I just noticed that there seemed to be a lot less effort being put into it. It was around the time the 17th season mm. uh, was airing. I just remember watching it as a kid and realizing, huh, there's not really, I used to watch it every single night when it was on uh, Saturdays at 8 PM on Fox. And it was just in the middle of that season. I, I don't know why it just seemed like that was the moment where the, the they just stopped trying. It just mm. it wasn't as witty as it used to be. And I mean, like, obviously, th that decline was there all the way through like the 14th, 15th and 16th. But there's something about the 17th season that made that happen. Now, people say that 
you know, things like the Frank Grimes episode. I thought that was a great episode. I don't know what oh, yeah. people are talking about. I think that was one of the more profound episodes that the Simpsons ever put out. Uh, some other people say that it was this episode featuring Lady Gaga, which I never saw. That uh, was that was before that was like the that was the send a taff after the funeral, in my opinion. Oh, I see. Yeah. So I, I don't know. What, that, what about what about the one with AOC and the squad? Wait, oh, there's really? Oh, I forgot about that one. Are you serious? Is yeah. that actually a thing? Apparently, yes, there was Bart a whole... becomes a male feminist to attract a girl. There was one episode of that. No, well, this one was one where Donald Trump had a uh, had a bad dream, had a nightmare where he had like this musical number with people of the squad coming in. So here is a uh, screenshot. I'm surprised, Max, you haven't seen this. <sighs> They, they had the one where they list the supposed uh, crimes or whatever of Trump. That was another one. Wow. I mean, they, 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 they're pretty charitable to AOC screaming face, but uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I think the problem is that like a lot of people say when the Simpsons started to not critique pop culture, but became just another facet of it. I think yeah. that was yeah yeah it, it wasn't so much just satirical poking fun at everybody you know making a stereotype out of everybody it sort of just became more of a platform for people to put forward their own particular agendas as we see with a lot of different forms of fiction yeah, do, but do you remember the specific episode from season 17 because i mean yeah this came on 2005 and i'm like looking at uh i usually gauge a season by the treehouse of horror episode and this is the the AI one. Um, uh, let me so just. Oh, yeah, I think what it was was it was the one where uh, it was sort of a parody of My Fair Lady, but it was with um, with uh, groundskeeper Willie. My Fair and Laddie. My Fair Laddie. The... Yeah, and I just remembered this isn't that great. It seems like they're just trying to do what family guys doing because that was the popular thing at the time and just try to turn everything into a musical number and i just oh didn't God, find it yeah that... yeah and i just didn't find it very clever i just thought they're just pandering it's not it doesn't feel like the simpsons right now so i just stopped watching it there was the one where like lisa become like pretends like gender swaps to go to the boys class which is like this brutal logical like i i yeah like it seems that season season 17 there was a lot of episodes like they introduced the whole backstory of Bob and his Italian wife. Yeah. It's just like, I don't know. Mm. It's Well, what about much earlier with Armin Tamzarian with Principal Skinner's old life being revealed? Like some people would argue yeah. that that was kind of like the beginning of the end. But is that is that not giving it enough credit? Um, It's it it's sort of that. I could understand why people were making that argument, because it was then that, that they're sort of messing with how do i say this it, it sort of deals with the same problem where it's like oh you had this origin story for bart lisa and maggie and how they were born and what homer and marge had to go mm -hmm. through and then they did this whole other thing in like a later season that i heard about where homer had like this rock band i think called sadgasm and he's like kurt cobain <laughs> yeah he's and like just, kurt cobain <laughs> yeah and then it's he just gets cucked by a college professor That's yeah like... exactly and then it's just when you start doing stuff like that it, it just it doesn't really seem like these characters have they're just 
I don't know how to explain they're it. They're just puppets of flesh. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. Just, they're just yeah. They're, they're just they're like canvases that that you can project anything onto, and they don't really have hmm. anything to them anymore. Like the That's, one thing that Homer was sorry to interrupt you, man, but no, in regards ahead, to Homer, the reason why he was so beloved to a lot of people was that even though he was sort of like the average American who wasn't particularly all there in the brain, at least he was an honorable person and that he mm. cared for his family and tried to do his best, even when it was to the severe detriment of his own health. But then as the seasons went on, you just realize, oh, well, they're just trying to push the boundaries as far as, you know, how stupid can we make Homer act? And it seems like at numerous times in the seasons that I haven't watched that they sort of jumped the shark in that regard. Right. There wasn't it, that level of sacrifice. Like for example, the uh, leftorium episode, where Homer like is plagued by his conscience or um, like the, the, even the backstory of like how they had Bart and how he had to like uh, sacrifice and like, ex like mm. give away his dream job. Like as much as I, <laughs> as much as I detest the guy, uh, Jacob Geller did have a good video about that one guest animation where like, it's in like thousands of years in the future. And then the Simpsons just become like these entities plagued by memories that don't make sense. They're, they're sort of like these it was a good it was a good video i mean as much as i you know uh, anyways uh i think that it's true when you just become a template or a canvas for like any sort of um whatever's happening within like the current like milieu of culture where then simpsons becomes like the soundboard of like whatever's happening yeah. like i think th that's that's like a terrible loss of like it's to the point where it's like they should have ended like literally a few decade a decade or so ago there's no point to it anymore uh like the whole i think what the people they blame that episode with uh skinner is that you're taking like a, a beloved character and you're sort of like putting a layer of doubt over the whole thing like even like you mentioned how like sadgasm he had this grunge band but like what what was like before what was homer doing in the classic seasons he was touring with smashing pumpkins yeah. as he was a going freak to space show. yeah and lollapalooza or going to space yeah so it's like at a, or like you know although going yeah. to space is actually a little, a little bit more realistic towards things that people would actually think about like what if i went to space as opposed to having a celebrity go in there and touring with them it seems much more ham-fisted to do something like that than it would be to uh just go to space but uh yeah when it comes to both sonic and simpsons i think a lot of meme culture has been um uh min milking the jule of the fallenness of like sonic was supposed to be like cool and hip and you know like back in the day that was supposed to be like the differentiation between sonic and mario mm -hmm. but now sonic has become in a way a living meme anyway we can get into that a little bit later um let's see if i have a final question i mean i'm just really really thankful that we got to do this today max and uh really love but your energy and yes but to make a youngian yes. point like in that video or I think it was Emplemon's video about how remix culture has like created this like uh ontology of the Simpsons and to bring it into a young thing it's almost like the archetype of cul of culture that is created by us now it becomes its own universe it becomes its own unconscious being that's lived in various like 
Instagram accounts and like, you know, shout out to Dark Simpsons, uh, that one YouTuber. Uh, it's like it becomes a strange sort of longing within the millennial psyche. It's very much like the Mark Fisher, you know, the future's canceled. We just have the remnants of the past as possibilities. Sort of that like weird uh, sad boy Marxist type of thinking. But it's true, you know. Oh my God, look at this. No matter how fast I run, I cannot run away from the pain. Oh my God. <laughs> Terrible. Terrible. <laughs> And with that, guys, we are going to go. I just again want to thank Max so much for doing this. We are going to have next, uh, well, not next week. We're going to have this Thursday, the Afghana stream. We are going to have this with uh, uh, Balding. He is joining us uh, of uh, Balding's world. We are going to have Huntsman and the Prudentialist. They are coming in, talking about Afghanistan, what is going on there. I mean, we've just left right now, so let's see what the next uh, couple of days are going to bring as far as news. But uh, either way, there's definitely a lot to talk about there. And like I mentioned before, we are going to have a stream with Sticks, Hexenhammer666, and Paul Rossi coming in next Tuesday. Here it is. Look, look what my father drew. He drew this uh, roller coaster that uh. Sticks is on in the Hawaiian shirt, like a cat roller coaster, and there's spoons sitting inside of that roller coaster. So you have that to look forward to. And by the way, Gio, this is the first time you're going to hear this, and uh, I just got confirmation like an hour ago. We are going to have Thursday, October 7, Sticks versus Joel Davis. Oh my! Oh, my God. That's going to be madness. What Who's are they going to talk Davis? about? He's uh, my friend of mine. He's a YouTuber. So Joel Davis is a lot more, let's say, and he says so himself, like more authoritarian minded as far as systems of government goes, ah. uh, as, as well as uh, converted recently to uh, Christianity. So Sticks would be against both. So it would be a very interesting uh, conversation that I'm looking forward to. Both of them have already confirmed. I only say these things when both have confirmed. So here we go. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We had a super yeah. chat asking uh, oh, Max yes. a question, if you recall. Yes, I am going to do that right now. Super chats, that is the final thing we're going to do. Again, everybody, subscribe. Patreon.com slash break the rules. Go and give us five stars on Apple. I'm going to send the Apple link as well. Here is the super chat. Uh, from Genres and Generations, uh, $2. Thank you so much, Genres and Generations. You are a newcomer here. I knew you came from Max. I really appreciate you being here, brother. Anyway, Max, uh, <laughs> Genres asks, Max, next Deus Ex video, when? When, uh, Max, when? Yeah, well, it's interesting. Like, a lot of people recently have been telling me how much they appreciate those videos as compared to when I actually first released them. That's good. I... It just depends on what exactly it is that people want me to talk about in regards to Deus Ex. I thought I did a pretty thorough investigation in regards to the first game with my first Deus Ex video. And then there was the mo the other most profound moment in gaming history, which I linked to the conversation that JC Denton has with Morpheus in the first game. The only thing that I think I could really talk about in regards to that game is sort of the conspiracies and their relation to real life but that would just be a whole can of worms that i'm not sure i want to open up mm. in regards to my channel but i will say this when i get around to playing deus ex human revolution and mankind divided i'm sure that there will be something there where i can sort of extract the commonalities across all those three games and you know the the philosophy and the vision of the future that it provides that might be good for my channel but 
I still have yet to play those games. But if you have any suggestions about what I, you'd like me to talk about in regards to Deus Ex, just feel free to uh, tweet them at me or email me, maxdarrett, all one word, at yahoo.ca. Excellent. Wait, uh, without doxing yourself, you don't have to say this, but if you want to, where in Canada are you? Oh, I, I'm in the province of Ontario. Oh, oh. same. Oh, yeah, you are too? Yeah, holy nice. shit. I, I kind of, <laughs> I was listening to one of your videos and you said... Yeah, I'm like he's probably a, he's probably a fellow Leaf. Um, yeah, I I live like a f- ten minutes away from Niagara Falls, pretty much. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah, I uh, I won't say where I live now. I'll say that where I used to live uh, a few months ago was around the Greater Toronto area, about mm. f- forty minutes away from the heart of it. But yeah, oh, yeah. not that. Right and much. the genres and generations also says don't forget Invisible War. Oh, of course. Yeah. Well. Yeah, I guess yeah, we do have to consider that canon, even though it wasn't the best received game. But yeah, there was the whole thing with Denton that I could probably talk about in regards to that. Thanks for the recommendation. Mm. Excellent. And with that, guys, we're going to uh, we are going to go. Let's see if there was one final thing I want to say. Well, follow Max Derrett on Twitter, twitter.com slash M-A-X-D-E-R-R-A-T. If you want to follow me for my dreams, my artwork, which again, I am working on crypto art guys like crazy right now. There is a bottleneck because it's one big image. Geo, you know, the one that I've been doing on the left stream. Uh, it just takes a long time to do because I'm also doing all the little characters that are like their own cards afterwards. But anyway, follow me, twitter.com slash levpo, L-E-V-P-O. Go there and also youtube.com slash Lev Polyakov. That's my name. Don't wear it out. Watch my animations. I have a lot of great animations there that I highly recommend you guys take a look at. And I'm going to be doing a lot more animations as BTR grows, as I'm going to have to do less stuff in the uh, back end. Because pretty much everything that you see in BTR, like what ends up happening, that is all me waking up very early in the morning. Like I wake up at 4 a.m. now sometimes and uh, do it. So if you want there to be less things on my plate, consider becoming a patron once again patreon.com slash break the rules so that this whole thing can grow like nobody's business anyway guys this is the very end of the stream i appreciate everybody and everyone including all the gin who are watching this stream oh yeah and go to my to the twitter play twitter.com slash giant geo and there you could find my link tree my youtube channel my instagram where i post my art you know stuff like that beautiful all right, guys, this is... The, oh, and of course, if you are not following Max Durad on YouTube, I don't know what you are doing with your life. This is... I gotta say, Max, your channel is very addictive. And I mean that <laughs> yeah. in a good way. This is the kind of drug you want to be addicted to. So follow Max on uh, on YouTube over here. And guys, this is it. This is the end of the stream. Take care, everybody. I uh, Hold on. I am searching for the actual thing that I have to click on because that's the way it works.